new identity. This passport, cash, move map. There's a change of clothes in that bag right there. Everything you need to make it to D.C. undetected. Once you're there, you'll have to inform on me. I'm what, sorry, what? To tell the truth. You came to Vienna believing you won two tickets to the opera. And I attempted to recruit you into assassinating the chancellor. That you is refused. not the truth. Your life depends on them believing you, Benji. It'll go easier if you tell them what they want to hear. Ethan, at least tell me what this is all about. Do you expect me to talk? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to review Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, not Rouge Nation. As always, should you or any of your do expect us to talk, force, be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This introduction will self-destruct in five seconds. Very yes, nanny hello state, isn't it? <laughs> they, t- they t- have to tell us, that they have to tell Ethan that every time. It's like, yes, I know it's going to be disavowed, but fuck <laughs> Every bloody time. Well, you know, he travels the world. He's quite busy between missions, so he might forget from time to time. Well, well, to be fair, in 3, they made the exception for, like, for uh, Kerry Russell, didn't they? It's like, well, normally we disavow, but on this... On this occasion... But you're fit, so no. (laughs) But but she's a plot device, so... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, she is a plot device. But we'll make an exception. And if all else fails, you've got Eric Baradwin you know, to to disavow you, so the, the thing always, he's not gonna do that. The thing that always confuses me is like to level of like self of uh, this message will self destruct well, is it gonna like explode or is how it much? just how, how badly <laughs> is it going to like, I, do, do I need to step back or is it just gonna yeah. like just <laughs> You look a dickhead sprinting across the car park and a little wet fart of a Wrong! Yeah, a little wet fart of smoke comes out of it. On the side if you just throw it into the waste paper basket right beside you and fucking like West London blows up <laughs> you've underestimated it somewhat Whoops. <laughs> so they should say something like this message will self-destruct really fucking badly well this will just vanish in a puff of smoke in five seconds they need to give you some kind of clearance don't they I think some kind of yeah, safety um, health and safety passes, warning and it exploded quite dramatically and in, like, Fallout, it is just, like, a tiny little puff of smoke. It just goes, Phew. Well, see, I think it's only in, um... Hang on, where's it, when does the time explode? In, in uh, Mission Impossible 2, the sunglasses, they, they exploded. Yeah, they yeah that's quite a big explosion. Uh, he throws them. Yeah, in, in the first one, he just had to light a cigarette to cover up the tiny bit of smoke <laughs> that came out. <laughs> You'd be fucked now because you can't smoke on planes. No, he'd be screwed, definitely. He'd have had to skydive out of the plane to watch it. <laughs> well, he clings to a plane door, doesn't he, here in, uh, yeah. in Not Rouge Nation. Oh, that really annoys me. If ever have, if anyone, if there's a film that has Rogue in the title, you know, you're going to get the odd typo, but it's always... But it's everyone. it's everyone. It's yeah. everyone. It's like everybody, 90%, everybody is 90% rouge. of people write Rouge, yeah. We're all looking fabulous. But no, the U goes at the... <laughs> it's after the G. But at least we all look fabulous, darling. And that's do you expect us to talk's policy. 
must look fabulous at all times. Mm. Even you. Even I don't know who I don't know who that's pointed at. Oh, I thought you meant me. Even me. <laughs> Even you've got to look presentable. Oh, especially yeah, so you, Chris, but especially you, Dave. We had Rouge one the following year, didn't we? We did have Rouge one. Yes. Oh dear. We all went Rouge. I bet the lipstick industry got a big spike out of that. Okay. One. So before we go into it, tell us about the film, Becca. Yes, this is, as you may have thought, episode one hundred and fifty-two. That's Chris and Dave and I, Becca. But yes, we are reviewing. Not rude. You can you can't help yourself, can you? Once you start, like... I've got it in big letters here. Not rude, because my dyslexic yeah. brain will be like, no, it's not rude. Yeah. Yes, that means you've rude. got to yell it. It could be rogue nation. That was rude. a good Rogue, yeah, it could be rude. Or Bruges, Bruges nation. No words that sound like rouge. But no, yes, we are reviewing Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, starring Tom Cruise, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Eric Baradwin, uh, Jeremy Renner, Bing Rames, and Sean Harris. With score by Joe Kramer, script by the amazing Christopher McQuarrie, and directed by the amazing Christopher McQuarrie. I love don't him so wish, much. Don't you wish Matt Damon had been in this <laughs> as well? Matt <laughs> Damon. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Oh my god. That <laughs> <laughs> still makes me laugh like 20 years on. <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, it's a bit of a knock on the Bond series. This was probably the best spy film of the year, wasn't it? Yeah, because wasn't this was this scheduled to have a, a, a later release date, wasn't it? It, it was, was going like, to be Christmas. It was going to be Christmas Day. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, in, in the United States, it would have come out early November. Spectre and probably still would have been hanging around in theaters by the time this came out. But it was brought forward, which is unusual for Mission Impossible, because all the way through the series, with the exception of the first one, we've been talking about films being actually pushed back slightly. Mm, uh, yes, was, this yeah, one actually unusual. came in. Now, that wasn't what I must stress, and we'll get, we'll go into the making of it in a little while, but one thing I must stress, it wasn't... I mean, with, with um, Wonder Woman, for example, they finished it, they've locked the cut, they've done all the effects... And Patty Jenkins is sat there going, oh, I wish it came out on the original date now. It wasn't that. It wasn't so comfortably they finished, let's bring it forward. That must have been a studio decision based on their slate. Because I found out today they locked the final cut five days before the premiere. So they were really, really up against it. They did not. Yeah. They weren't sat there in smoking jackets all relaxed going, we're finished. This was brought out earlier for, for uh, by Paramount's design put it that way yeah it's like can you can you get it ready for this date like uh yeah. okay well i guess i mean he, he even said and i can't remember what i don't think he actually said i don't think he said which bit of the film it was he said but there was one bit of the film where they had to go back to for argument's sake the effects team it may have been the music but i think it was the effects team and give notes on something they needed changed and there wasn't even time to check the changes they just had to trust when they turned up to the premiere what they asked for was correct uh, and indeed it was, he says. Whether I think from the hours I've spent listening to Macquarie's interview, I think I trust him to be honest. So I think they got the film they wanted, but they were very, very much up against it. So what was the thing that that was like at the film? Was Is it the film's ending? Because I think that was the thing that was the last thing to, to, to shoot, <laughs> it, more or less. He talked about it in such depth that... Um, everything was subject to change christopher mcquarrie's very big on so is tom cruise very big on testing films 
and said, you know, he's not a slave to it. He's not, we get a note and we follow it slavishly, but we're very respectful of the process. And when you get notes, particularly from audiences, it's telling you something. So, for example, the hanging off the side of the plane went everywhere in that film. Originally, they were going to end the film with a big plane sequence, and what he was describing was effectively the end of Fast Six. You know, a, a runway that's ridiculously long and chasing the plane with cars and set at night mm. and all the rest. Um, when they eventually cut what they cut, eventually there was a spell. There was a cut where it was in effectively the credits at the end. They they effectively sort of teed it up, started the credits, and then you saw him hanging off the plane. So things like that. Yep, definitely there were versions of the script where Solomon Lane died. In fact, for most of the production, Solomon Lane was supposed to die. Mm -hmm. And what you've got is a director and producer stroke leading man who are just very in tune with the process and what feels right. So when something doesn't feel right, they talk about it and try something else. And, you know, they felt the film was telling them that Lane should survive. Lane should be beaten, not killed. He said Lane is not screaming out to be killed in the same way that Owen Davian was. No, but he's then, a completely different brand of villain, mm, I think, isn't he? But I think Owen Davian as well sort of starts the film with a bit of an atrocity. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it goes on from there and you want the guy dead, whereas it's not quite the same as Sean Harris. But yeah, I mean, there were problems with that. There, there were late changes to the score because early feedback said the film appeared to have effectively multiple endings. And Tom Cruise said it was, he said it was Tom Cruise that pointed out it's not leave every frame as it is, but the music from when they get to Blenheim Palace should be effectively one piece. Mm. And that will take that away. And they said they literally went up like 10 points overnight, just changing the music. Well, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think he was spot on there for sure. Yeah. So, just um, to shout out how much Cruise knows about film and, <laughs> and what works. Yeah, no, he, he's all over it. He's all over the... Um... On it like a car bonnet. He's in every aspect. He knows what's going on. The respect Macquarie has for Cruz as a filmmaker is is palpable. Mm, and you know when you think about it, they worked together on Edge of Tomorrow. He mm -hmm. wrote on that. They worked together that was on good film. Four. They worked to together on Jack Reacher, and they've now worked Valkyrie. together on two Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, Valkyrie, Valkyrie as well. Yep. Two Mission Impossible films with another two to come, and Top Gun. So a very successful they, partnership. They wouldn't be working together if it didn't work for them as well. No, if they weren't on the same page. There's only so much money you need. I don't think you'd put up with a relationship that the end result was good, but you didn't enjoy it. So no, yeah, they obviously, um, you know, there's a lot, as you say, working in favour of both of them, and they get a lot out of out of the partnership as well. I mean, in terms of the, the making of it, there's an awful lot as we go through it that things change and ideas come up and, and all the rest of it. At the outset, I've probably got a lot less to say about the genesis of the film because in previous weeks I've talked about different directors being attached and different you know, versions of the script and the date being pushed back a year and then another year and so on. And none of that really happened here. Here... Uh, Drew po Drew Pierce was hired to write it. Drew Pierce was um, Drew Pierce wrote Iron Man three, um, and he's yes, actually that name he's, he's just written um, Hobbs and Shaw as well. Um, That'd be fun. Looking forward to that. Yeah, and that version of the script got effectively changed on the fly by Macquarie. But there's no more story than talking to you maybe as we go along about things that changed with that. But um, yeah. 
Macquarie was attached, Macquarie did the film. There's very little story other than that in terms of like any kind of development hell at the outset of this. He was hired a couple of years before it, and he produced it. So um, budget-wise, it's about the same as Mission Impossible 3, so they're still holding the sort of inflation of the cost of these films down. That changes a bit next uh, next week. Uh, Fallout is a bit more expensive. Also, the running time. This this is the first one to come in a, a bit shorter. Only a minute, but there's been an inflation. The first one was like an hour, what was it, 110 minutes. Yeah, the they've, they've generally just, gotten a little bit longer, haven't they? They have. The second one was just over two hours. The third one was, I think, 132 minutes. This is 131. And again, next week, we get a bit longer. Mm. But obviously, we'll talk about that next week. So I haven't got an awful lot to say pre-production with the exception of he was asked how his ideas changed from drew pierce's and he said drew pierce was going to the original version of the script was going to have the original um head of um imf from the tv series oh. we we know the version that's got um peter graves in it because he was in more of it. So the Peter Graves character, uh, Jim Phelps. Well, the original series was a guy called Dan Briggs. uh, Sorry, the character was called Dan Briggs, played by a guy called Stephen Hill. And Stephen Hill was a very religious man and couldn't work a certain day of the week. I think it was Saturday. I think he was Jewish. And it was starting to affect the TV schedule so much that they would have episodes where he would literally give out the mission and then the excuse as to why he wouldn't be joining them on it. So they ended up having to replace him, and obviously he was replaced with Peter Graves, who is um, the known version from He's the He's now iconic series. in the role. Absolutely. So that was the original version of it. Um, and it, uh, other things that occur to me, we go through it, but eventually Macquarie got hold of it started changing it and he just said the script became he said it read there was a lot of stuff in the original version that that played like fan service and he just said i learned from jack reacher where he he put loads of detail in for fans of the book that no one noticed no one cared and those that did care it kind of got in the way bond producers take note um when it comes to things like fan service so it was a bit self-reverential so as they went through the process this became a very Christopher McQuarrie stroke Tom Cruise product. And that's really all I've got to say in the lead up to the film. But in terms of the actual film itself, did you all see it on release? How, how did you, what are your memories of when it came out? Yeah, I watched it um, probably like opening... I don't know if it was opening day, but in the opening week, you know, I saw it at least twice. Um, and I think one of my main in takeaways... Thing I really really enjoyed got out of it was like oh uh, was was getting a, a bomb film that you know we hadn't gotten for a while <laughs> basically <laughs> um, I mean it, it's it's almost kind of embarrassing because like there, there's just so much bo- elements of Bond in here that um, that was like <laughs> like all, all the stuff of the opera just thought oh you know I miss this kind of shit. When's Daniel Craig doing this? And you know, I, I think particularly we had Spectre coming up as well, so it wasn't quite as you know. Um, well, we still at that's this stage. Yeah, we had, yeah. So good or better at the end of the year. Yeah. 
Yeah, exa- exactly. Uh, plus also you got something like the Syndicate, which is kind of like what Spectre should be. Mm. Especially yes. if you're gonna, especially if you do it in a, you know, up to date kind of way. It's just like this shadowy organization that seems to sort of like just get around. I mean, it's basically yeah. what Quantum was, but just less like. But better. But, well, yeah. Well, Quantum's a bit more like, oh, we're we're in like we're sneaking in with with politicians and do deals and things like that and, and work behind the scenes that way. These are just like a shadowy group that just sort of shadowy terrorist organization. Yeah, kind of thing that just sort of no one knows exists. So like a lot more dangerous. But something like that, even down to like the look of like the the members of um of the of the syndicate. They are like you know particularly like in the in the opera scene you got like Tom Cruise fights like a really tall guy with blonde hair it's like well, you know he looks very European it's just like well that's straight from Bond that just looks definitely well, when he first like a Bond villain that could have been Stamper yeah or something like that you know so it's it's it looks straight something like from that and I was just like ah oh. um, Rebecca Ferguson looks like a Bond girl got a Bond girl name Elsa Faust um <laughs> But yeah, she clearly got stand out. Like she was uh, one of the things she she moves really well. She really for for someone who I hadn't seen before previously, she really left a, a genuine great impression. Uh, and yeah, it just it just felt very very slick. The only thing I would say was it did feel like it was just missing something. Like it just felt like it was missing like another big set piece or something, uh, which I think probably is down to the the rush time frame. The, they had they i think by the time you get to the end, end film it, you know the ending they have is fine i think it works with the with essentially it's just a bit of a chase and a shootout but i get the feeling that it might have been heading in a bit more of a, a a bigger set piece possibly or maybe the opening set piece set piece would have was meant to be the bigger film's i plenty, said the film's plenty long enough but it, it almost felt like it could use another act yeah, I, I think that's what I mean. It just felt like it was just short, like a big action scene. Uh, there was, I mean, you got Tom Cruise on the plane, and I think one of the film's weakest spot is that first opening scene. Not the stunt itself, not the shot and the work that went into that, but everything else around that. Everything just felt like a bit perfunctory and a bit kind of like, oh, well, that will do. Uh, but the, the stunt itself, fine. But everything else just felt like... It, it's a bit too short lived, and it just you know it, it just you know we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about the film sequentially. Cause it just felt very much like oh we got Simon Pegg in a field, and and when like, it went into well when it went into the credits, I was like oh is that it? I mean I've just yeah. seen an extraordinary stunt, and yet I still thought is that it? Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, there were there were countless. He had the same problem with Fallout. Countless different ideas as to where you put the the title sequence. And we'll we'll come into that because there was there were countless changes as to where that would go, but we, yeah we'll come on to that because I'm I'm almost about to like start commenting on the quality and I don't want to because I want to hear from you guys first but it's um it, it could go anywhere really isn't it it's one that I kind of feel that I mean it's it's a really gripping pre-title scene but I think just the fact that it's cut so sharply and goes into the credits is is a real it takes me out of the film for example um but it's one of those things where they kind of thought oh well we'll we'll just shove it here. But that's one of the very few haphazard moments about this film. Otherwise, I adore it. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel that I was a little bit like, oh, they just shoved it in there, you know. There's, there's nowhere else for it to go. Let's just put it here. 
But yeah, but I'm sure I mean, that wasn't the case. I'm sure that as, wasn't the case at all. As for the rest of the film, I mean, I, I paid a lot of attention to the score tonight because I always remember mm. really liking the score to the next film, and I really liked the title sequence music. From yeah, that's film. really smart. And Charlie, who's a long-term collaborator with us, has always praised Joe Kramer's score. And I'm listening to it, and there's bits in the film where I'm thinking. Yeah, that's a bit Bond. There's a little bit Living Daylights there and stuff mm. like that. And they keep calling back to Ness and Dorma, but in a very, very understated way, because otherwise it would be rather cliched. And he, you can hear it a lot in when they get to um, not straight to HQ the, in Berlin and Palace. Well, in the in the um, in the best Bond scores, they use the Bond theme without using the Bond theme. They reorchestrate it and build mm. it into like something fresh. And he was doing that with the Mission Impossible theme. Uh, time and time again he was using it and he was using it to be whimsical in places you know Ilsa says to Tom you know um, and this is truly impossible and there's just a slight underscoring of the Mission Impossible theme but it doesn't play as like the Mission Impossible it's not in your face is it it's not the Mission Impossible version of dan 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 it's just quite understated no, so there's, there's really a similar like scene as that. well, I think, when so, they've just... I've just yeah. envisioned Ben still looking straight to camera, like, well, it looks like this mission just got... <laughs> just <laughs> got impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> um, isn't there a scene as well where I think um, Elsa's just reviving um, Tom Cruise's character? Yeah. And, yeah, Benji kind of appears, so I, I knew that was going to be difficult, but not mission... In, you know, and he goes to say impossible, yeah. and then something happens, and there's a little bit of the theme weaved in in the background. Yeah. Um, when they go to Ilsa's house and obviously she gets out of the water in like a swimming costume but then she gets that's dressed that's moment. But, but when she gets dressed uh, into normal everyday clothes it's like 70s Bond girl that could be like Lois Charles yes no that's to, true actually that, that scene like where they where they go to visit her um, yeah. in Casablanca um, <laughs> sorry this is it a very blue popping film pay attention um, yeah it, it reminds me of Diamonds <laughs> A little bit of diamonds of forever. Oh, what, you expect Bambi and Thumper to come jumping? <laughs> just a little yeah, bit, just a little so. pool scene as well. And there's yes. also a scene in... Oh, God, it's it's one of the um, Wolverine movies, the one where he goes to Japan. There is a scene very much like that, and they do the whole, oh, I didn't even know there was a pool down there, you know, mm. line. Which, yeah. again, is a very diamonds reference, but it just reminded me of those two films. What I like, it, it captured a Bond film without aping a Bond film, and I think that the problem I've got is if I don't see absolute Bond tropes... When people say, oh, that's like a Bond film, I go, well, no, it isn't. And I go, well, no, <laughs> it actually, kind of is, but it isn't. if you showed me a 10 or 15 minutes of this film, I'd never heard of Tom Cruise. No one referred to him as Ethan. And you told me James Bond was now being played by an American. I'd go, yeah, that's a Bond film. Even down to the score. So. I'd probably say like this film and certainly Fallout as well. Because I remember seeing, well, we'll talk about it when we discussing Fallout. It's Fallout. literally, for me... Bond stunts by numbers are like that's been done in that film that's been done in that film that's been done in that film we've seen that I before I agree with that I, I do think they, they do they do the it's sort not, of not on things. purpose not on purpose it's still they do the sort of own... thing Bond would do in that he does car based stuff and, and that sort of thing all the stunts we've seen before no we haven't but we'll get into it we'll get into it I don't <laughs> no, see I, I still to be really honest the stunt and... work the stunt work in this film as pisses on anything Bond has done since oh the yeah definitely you know, the stunts are way you know Mission Impossible has got to the point now where it's, it's, it's known worldwide you know for it's amazing stunt work and, and Tom Fallout Fallout does... doesn't look like a Bond film because it's got no too, no not at all it's got too grey and grimy a colour palette whereas this one is probably the brightest Mission Impossible film this is very shiny this is the shiniest it, of a lot I think and it's got a mixture the other thing is they split the team up deliberately, so it feels more expensive than it is because you've got Tom in like 
I don't know, let's say Morocco, right? And then it will cut back to like um, Alec Baldwin and Jeremy Renner in like Washington. And it feels like the film is like trotting the globe. And it will cut, really. cut between them in like, you know, heavy coats. And then to Casablanca with him in quite bright clothing. And so it's just got a really nice varied colour palette. It's very, very bright. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... This isn't copying Bond and Bond shouldn't copy this. But at the same time, it's got bits in it that you think this just feels a bit prestige in places and scenes at an opera that is just so much more lavishly designed than the equivalent in Quantum of Solace, even though the Quantum of Solace opera scene is very good. And, you know, the, the stunt work is better than we've had in Bond for a long time. You know, she, she's better than most Bond girls we've had since Vesper. And so I just look at this and just go, and then you bring in the syndicate and it could, you know, you expect them to say we are the special executive for, you know, counterintelligence, <laughs> terrorism, revenge and extortion. Special. Because the thing, about, the thing about, the thing about Spectre is. Can I put an acronym for syndicate? Spectre have got a degree of randomness about them. They just like some films, they're just trying to fuck shit up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a little bit of that about the syndicate. You don't, For large portions of this film, we don't even know what they want. They're just like, well, we're just we're just going to assassinate that guy, and we're just going to fuck that up, and we're going to cause mayhem there. And the only time I've seen that in Bond recently with either Spectre or Quantum is when they 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 caused um, terror in South Africa because of the Nine Eyes thing. Mm. And I just thought, yeah, that's Spectre. They've just gone in behind the scenes and caused mayhem. But the other thing they do differently from from the way Spectre's been, it strikes me that with a Spectre-type organisation, you've got two ways to build them. You either build them from the inside out or the outside in. So you either start with an organisation and then slowly reveal more until you get to its lead, which is Blofeld, which is the way the 60s Bond series did it. Or you've got start with Blofeld and build out from that. So you start building out to what is it he's actually controlling. And this is what this one does. We start with sort of Solomon Lane effectively, and then we realise the syndicate is something he's trying to build more than anything else. Where Spectre, the film Spectre, did neither. It, it did nothing. It just went, we've got the rights, let's put it on the screen. And there was no plan. Here, there seems to be a bit of a plan. The funny thing is, they went into the film determined not to use the syndicate. It was just meant to be a tease at the end of the last film. But, um, yeah, so I've got the highest of high respects with the way they've gone about this. And, you know, it's a bit like Bourne a few years before. It's not going to outlast Last Bond. It's probably not going to outgross Bond. But in terms of capturing the mood, the zeitgeist, and providing clear entertainment, you know, that really makes everyone walks out really happy, a bit like Bourne in the very early 2000s. Th this series is absolutely fucking handing James Bond's lunch at the moment. I mean, it's a bit sad, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I am remember when uh, Mission Impossible 2 came out and I remember Jonathan Ross and he gave it a really bad review in a kind of, in a kind of like mocking way as, as if to say, oh, you know, he can't, you know, he kind of wants to be the American James Bond in, in a way, oh, it will never happen. And it's just funny going back to like now and you have Bond with arguably its best actor, and it's just its best leading man for a long time, yeah. And it's and it's just 
really like un, un, like underserving it's it underserving the audience and you have this film we came out just before what should be a one of the biggest bond films yet it reintroducing spectre and it gave us more bond and it's not even remotely a bond film you know no. i mean i mean like the, the stuff with like the syndicate like they, what they really nailed more about uh the comparison to spectre this it's just how well organized that stuff with in the opera it's like not only did they not have like oh we're gonna assassinate you've got like the assassin for for him just in case she didn't follow through and the thing to kill her and whatever and if all goes to pop well demise car bomb so it's planned meticulously all the way through that that assassination will go under you know ahead no matter what but everything's meticulously yeah, everything yeah, is. the Spectre equivalent was retconning a load of stuff that he could not possibly have plan- planned. Yeah. Because the card game just wouldn't have happened, and there's, you know, he could not. Yeah, there were so many things in that film. And and again, I've got, I've just on the point of Spectre, I don't dislike it as much as a lot of people dislike it. I've always admitted that I got a bit carried away when it first came out. That That's absolutely true. But all of these things are like fair criticisms that they just they just went spectre brilliant let's put it on the screen it's like what's your plan yeah what's your plan and the other thing i really like about this series is the balance of tone that again detractors will say well ethan's not a character well he is we've had four films i don't understand we've had four films now building out the world, building out the IMF, thinking each time as to how to rebalance stuff, because there was a fear at one point the IMF would effectively almost be Ethan's antagonists all the way through, you know, so they had to rebalance that. There's been a growing thing around his wife, there's been a growing thing around Ilsa, um, and yet the Bond equivalent seems to be to constantly navel-gaze over his place in the world. And it goes back to Chris's comment when Spectre came out, and he likened it to Doctor Who and said, it's it's the same mentality that brings back the DB5 every time. It's a series falling in love with itself. So we're going to like navel gaze about our legacy and where we are and where we're going instead of just thinking, what's the best two hours of entertainment we can provide? And the two aren't mutually exclusive. The Fast franchise has proved this on in a slightly lower IQ way, admittedly. But the Fast franchise lands all its themes of family and loyalty and stuff like that. The two aren't mutually exclusive, and this series just balances it really, really well. And when you think it started with a film that I know a lot of people like but had zero character development, it really has come a long way. Yeah, the trajectory is a lot easier to see. And it's, it's yeah. done it in, in, in far better fashion as well, I'm ashamed to say. So as for as for opening thoughts for me, I, I just remember coming out of it, if I'm honest, and just thinking it's not quite as good as Ghost Protocol. And I think a lot of that is um, the Burj Khalifa. I think sometimes a set piece, if it's that good, can absolutely change your, or not change your opinion, but almost unbalance your opinion versus the other films. Actually, it's really similar. They're really similar films. They're paced in quite a few. A good. They're paced very similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a better leading lady in this than in the last film. I think there's some intrigue there. I think they have put a different wrinkle on being disavowed than in the last film. Um, I do think though that the Burj Khalifa was that good, and even Macquarie says, you know, he says that about Brad Bird. He went, you know, sod it, damn him. You know, he's giving me the Burj Khalifa. I can't, <laughs> I can't yeah, match that. Yeah, that. that was a difficult nut to crack. Um, difficult one to to match you know um 
I just remember really enjoying it. Some of the opera stuff went on a little bit too long, and by that I mean the fist fight. The fist fight with the big hulking guy went on too long, and I remember a couple of times watching Not it. Stumper. Going, Isn't this done yet? Um, but I just really, really enjoyed it, and I just think Ilsa was a masterstroke, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go through it. What I like is it's back to this sort of you don't know who to trust. Do you trust Ilsa? Does she trust the people she's working for? Can Sean Harris trust her? And I like that. When when it doesn't get too labyrinthine and dis- disappear up its own ass and just give us flavours of that, that's that's really strong. I like the... F- it's great when the team are together and they're all trying to get into a building, but this film actually expanded its scale by splitting the team up. I thought that was very wise as well. I thought Alec Baldwin actually added a dimension because, again, it's a bit... I've got, I'm going to have this complaint when we get to the John Wick films that the, the 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 sort of body that John Wick works for, you get to a point where those fit through those films where you go, why would he ever fucking work for them? They're fucking assholes, right? And there's a danger of that with the IMF. That by the top by the time we got to this film, you know, it's like well, he's constantly disavowed, you know, uh, unsupported and and everything else. And I think putting that wrinkle in of them being on trial effectively and alec baldwin being pulled around to their point of view very similarly to mallory in skyfall but with a completely different feel to it gave it something and i just thought he was very good in it as well and there was just nice little changes of pace and location constantly whereas rogue uh, ghost protocol had them all in the same place all the time so when you had a long section in dubai all you were seeing was dubai whereas we do cut back and forth to different things here um, I do think the three films are of a piece. My recollection is I like Fallout more than this, and on balance, I think I probably enjoyed last week's film more than this. But I like where this film was going. It was a film that referenced the last one. Now, the previous film had referenced three, but that was late additions. I mean, the whole stuff of changing Jeremy Renner to he was protecting Julia... I heard Macquarie say that today on an old recording that that was that only came about ten weeks into a seventeen week shoot, but here they're straight away being put on trial for what happened at the Kremlin, and so there is a, a through line now that they've got a series and a continuity, but the films are standing alone. So this this is absolutely one hundred percent how you do franchise filmmaking. So uh, what what about you, Chris? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, again, I just. The main takeaways for me was I thought this was giving me uh, the Bond film, which I haven't got since at the time Spectre, and then since um, Spectre came. Sorry, since Skyfall, and then since Spectre came out, uh, it kind of felt yeah, he didn't really deliver that. I mean, it it was kind of also like a wise move to kind of pull this forward to kind of get ahead of Spectre as well, because uh, I think it might have the two might have clashed though. I think this one might have just sort of, as you say, Dave, taken its lunch and just and pissed on it. I mean, I, I don't know why. It, it might it might have made it worse. You might have just gone like Spectre might have come out of all the provasse of being Daniel Craig and Blofeld being back, and then Mission Impossible comes along. So nope, this side do it, son. Um, I think it's much more. It, it it's a very much more grounded film than than last week, which I think is probably deliberate. Uh, the the action is a lot more fisty fighty. Uh, runny, jumpy, shooty, rather than like, <laughs> let's do a big set piece, which is absolutely fine. I mean, there's, you know, there's a few knife fights and re- and really and um, 
as Dave says, you can't just up the you can't just up the stakes every yeah. single. Time. You've just got to yeah. put new rules on things, yeah. Uh, and and really good uh, chase scene as well, and, and and a few actually really good missions as well. It's actually quite a diverse set of uh, should we say impossible missions. I mean, the thing that what yeah. the one that impressed me the most was the, actually the one in in the, with the PM. I thought that 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 mission was inspired, even though it was not like uh, a spectacle stunt based one or anything like that. It was. It was sort of how it played out, but in terms of the boldness and and how it all comes together, you know, it it kind of like well that's that's inspired thinking. Um, but other than that, as I said, yeah, the only thing I've the, only, the main criticism I just felt like it was just missing just an extra set piece that stuck in my that stuck in the head. Uh, that that was the only thing I just felt like maybe possibly the, uh, the 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 faster shoot that I had to deliver to get the, the release date on time maybe 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 like rush things a bit too much uh, though that said the ending does actually make sense particularly with someone Lane uh, notice they they keep referencing because at, at the beginning of the film we like you know he has Tom Cruise in a box and gasses him and he you know there's there's reference to, to him like I want to. I'm going to put you in a box or something, or you know, words to that effect that have kind of glittered through, through the film, and then he finally actually does, and he does exactly the same thing. So that kind of matched perfectly. So I think they made the right decision of not killing him, and they've actually made it sense from the actual film itself. He did say they panicked slightly when they saw Spectre, and like the lead of a very similar organization yeah. wasn't killed, and they were like, "Oh Christ!" But. You know, later in the year, admittedly, but it would have been in production around the same time, and it was like, oh, Christ, all right. But, I mean, we keep saying it's a bit like Bond. It's, it is its own thing. This feels like a Mission Impossible film. It's just that with the globe-trotting element, the, the, the getting into things, the double-crossing and spy element, and all the rest of it, and the action, then it's going to stomp on some of Bond's territory and it's just doing it better. Just, just the general spy things. I mean, going to an opera and, and foiling assassination attempts, that's just a spy-esque thing anyway. And you're going to watch that and you're going to think of Bond. Um, but everything's just done so slickly that you just think, God, oh, you know, why hasn't Craig done this yet? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it it just just but it was just it was a, it was a nice little re- reminisce, right? A nice little love letter to to that that kind of element or that kind of trope or how we, however you see it. It 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 was nice to have, and I think it you know it it's really well directed. Uh, the cast are great. I think the how they brought in both Luther and uh, Simon Pegg actually worked well actually in in the in the script because he had. Uh, Benji off helping Ethan, and then you had uh, you know Brent uh, needing help with with Luther, you know. So that all that all seemed to work well, and the two kind of like work well together. So it's how you crack the nut yeah. of um, historic characters with the same skill set. We're going to get to that with the Fast franchise as well, because there mm. are definitely two characters in those films now that have the exact same skill set, and now you're going to keep them going forward. And how do you not have them stepping on each other's toes? Because they're lovers. Or I'm not sure Benji and Luther as lovers would be the way to <laughs> no, not here. no, not but, here, um, but in um, in Faster. No, but, but here, the very first sequence, Benji needs some help and he actually uses yeah. Luther as in Malaysia. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, you got the same skill set, so help me improve mine. 
So yeah, they, it, they can work symbiotically. It works fine. Mm. So the, the balance of the crew is probably a bit better than the last film, and like yeah, Rebecca Ferguson is absolutely like the, the key the key new element and probably the wisest addition in the series to date. Really, do, do standout roles here definitely. Oh, Rebecca Ferguson, she's amazing, and Sean Harris. I just think without them, the film would be so much weaker. I just think you know they're, they're positive boons for the series. And obviously, we had Sean has kind of introduced early towards the end of the last film, and then next week. You know, we kind of really see more, but you know, he's a fantastic actor. Um, it's a shame that we're kind of talking a little bit about, um, you know, having a, sort of the differences in villain, for example, but having um, Owen Davian, the sort of, you know, the, the, that type of actor, it's such a shame that, that his role was kind of cut short. I would like to see more, you know, more from him, um, but obviously, sadly, he's no, no longer with us. Um, but then to have you know a, a, an actor of of, um, of Sean Harris's caliber um, and also Rebecca Ferguson as well, and also to kind of explode onto our screens. I think she was it 2015, 2016. She was in um, the White Queen, fantastic. Um, Someone of her talents. I think it's a, you know it's a real it's a real coup to have those two. The only you know, other in, thing in I've ever series. seen her in outside of this series is she was in um, The Greatest Showman. I've not yeah, seen definitely. anything else outside of this. No, they definitely um, check out her filmography as well. It's just, she's, but there is a there is a look about her that's very malleable because you can put her in ball gowns and everything else and you can put her in action sequences and it works equally well i don't want to put her not, into kind of like a true. swedish pigeonhole but she does remind me a little bit of ingrid bergman she's got like uh, a really nordic kind of quality to her that's deliberate we'll come in to terms that. of a in terms of a timeless beauty in fact we'll talk about that now when they were going to cast the role they had someone else in mind uh macquarie and macquarie said that he went and talked to the marketing department he's quite open about this um he said because when he was on jack reacher he never had anything to do with them and it was a very difficult film to market in some ways and he just went to them and just said and and they you know what is it you would need from me and they went through all the old sort of campaigns and um showed them the sort of things showed him the sort of things that worked and in conversations with them it sort of reconceived the Ilsa character and then the original version of the Ilsa character was a bit more of a troublemaker he described it as you go into like on a mission and you've got to go in silently and she goes in and immediately makes a load of noise and shoots someone without a gun you know without a silencer not without a gun without a silencer that happen? <laughs> yeah and it's like well what do we do now and he just said that was really broad. You know, it was funny in the odd scene, but it was really broad. Mm. But he said, we started looking at uh, actresses and tapes and all the rest of it. And when we got to Rebecca Ferguson, Tom Cruise went, oh, my God, that's Ingrid Bergman. And apparently his first sort of cinematic crush was Ingrid Bergman. And she's called Ingrid Bergman and plays the character of Ilsa in Casablanca. It's totally, totally deliberate. This is this film casting as close to Ingrid Bergman as you can get now. Yes, I agree, Dave. There is a Casablanca thread running through this film, definitely. But yeah, it was. Um, I've, I've been a bit embarrassed. I've heard like snippets of, of the Macquarie interview. Um, it, it is three hours long, um, so I need to kind of break it up. As I say, not very recent, but I need to break it up into kind of more manageable chunks, really. Um, but it's one of the you know few in-depth interviews that he did. Um, and again, you know, he spoke kind of very candidly about the. You know, the history of the film um, in terms of its production history um, and in collaboration with Cruise as well. Um, off topic, this isn't a bad thing, but I'd just like to note, obviously, the, the Chinese involvement in this film. It's becoming, you know, 
Chinese production becoming a, a big thing on the world stage. Um, a lot of um, there's two Chinese production companies involved in the making of this film. Um, I'm, I'm not sort of I'm, I'm not the sort of you know. I just I'm just here to note it really. Um, I think that's quite interesting um, in the way that kind of film production is going. There's often like different versions of films um, made specifically tailored for the Chinese market, or might be might appear different on the Chinese market. But I just think it's quite interesting in the way that kind of film production is going really. So I just thought it's interesting to highlight that. Mm. Doesn't really um, have any effect here in that I didn't know. No, it doesn't. Noticed. But I just think I think it is um, quite interesting. That's when, you, just... when you go and watch either the fourth Transformers film, which has a clear hour at the end of the film that shouldn't be there because of the Chinese money. Yeah, and then I you think go and the watch... Iron, Man, Iron Man films as well. Was yeah, but that was similar. just some extra footage in their cut, so it didn't affect us. But the um, the Meg as well, they've cast some Chinese actors in that, which I have no problem with in principle, but they've cast a Chinese character in there that Jason Statham has zero chemistry with. Yeah. And, and things like that. So when it starts affecting the end product, it can be a problem. But I don't really see that it is here. Thankfully. Yeah, I don't really have a problem here, but I just think it's interesting, just in terms of that's kind of like the way things are going, I think. Um, but no, I just, I just from, purely from interest, from a financial point of view, I just think it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, although, as we say, they are keeping the, the budget. And Alibaba are basically, you know, they're quite on well, a similar standing to like Amazon, for example, and that kind of, that type of company. So yeah. it can't really be ignored. No, and, and um, I would expect such a powerful country with a growing audience to have more and more influence. But um, like I say, it's, it's how much it changes what's on the screen. And there's a couple of films I've seen in the last four or five years where it, it ruined the film, frankly, or at least mm. damaged it. Here, I don't know that it's affected the end product. In, in, no, here I think it's fine. It doesn't affect Macquarie it was answerable to Paramount. So the, all the notes were coming from either J.J. Abrams, the Paramount execs, or internally, Tom Cruise would effectively give him notes as well. Yeah, he'd so, be doing most of the notes. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Let's do it. Okay, so Chris, tell, tell us about the opening scene, because you've got some minor issues with it, if not yeah, the stunt. Yeah, it, it, it's just over to soon i think the whole setup because at the beginning we see um we you know we we get like you know, a bit of like the little subtleties of the mission possible theme uh, a, a very grand-esque like sort of version of it and they've put some grandeur in it throughout this film that, yeah that the scale is being like, ad- added by some very small details like, like that dun 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 uh yeah. that thing but yeah you have benji he's like all in camouflage He's, he's on his computer and there's uh, basically some nerve gas missiles on a plane and you have uh, Jimmy Renner's character uh, Brent, no, not David Brent <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brent Brent, yeah uh, I've just sort of, I've kind of fused Mission Impossible and the office shit <laughs> yeah. I have to remember like I can't remember if it was the premiere or the chance. Or like, like it was a job politician called Willie Brown back in, back in the day. Yeah. And, and that surname, that's what it reminds me of. You know you grew up in the 80s and 90s when? Yeah. They look nothing alike, but it's just a surname. Yeah. Or like Helga Brandt, for example. From well, yeah, that, my thoughts go there first. But all David Brent. Yeah, <laughs> just, 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 just imagine me in there going like, uh, yeah, uh, package on the brain. He's like, yes, I know. Just, just say, just do a job. So has, your, has your wife, has your wife left you yet? Actually, <laughs> oh, I forgot that. I forgot that. <laughs> no, sorry, I just made me laugh. <laughs> Finchy, 
Bloody good MIF agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's a possible what, what, mis- what, what, yeah. what, what, while, I, while I've got you on the phone, uh, who's the uh, who's the president of Cuba? <laughs> <laughs> Frey Pentos got it. Frey Pentos, right? <laughs> oh dear. So yeah. Anyway, we get <laughs> we get introduced to our characters. We have uh, Benji, who's like he's there trying to like dismantle the. He, he seems basically there on his own. He asks where Ethan is. He's like, oh, he's he's gone dark or something so we have no real like input into what's actually really happening yeah which i think is we're saving him to run out heroically <laughs> yeah where's ethan just yeah. behind that mound over there wait, wait, where's ethan? he's, he's <laughs> gone dark i don't know so we don't know why we don't know the lead up to this so we basically just got benji who's like now asked luther for assistance because he needs to get control of a satellite to and basically he, disable the yeah they need to ha- they need to hack a russian satellite to do it and you have uh, Jeremy Brent. Uh, Jeremy Brent. Jeremy <laughs> <laughs> Brent. That's somebody else together. Oh dear. Anyway, so character. I've got Jeremy Brent's character, who's. So I'm kind of a Brent first, a Jeremy <laughs> second, and uh, a Mission Impossible star third. Uh, this is something he, that I do. He's funny. he's basically in the uh, uh, at the office home, sort of shouting orders, basically. Um, and he's and they're trying they're trying to sort of stop this shipment from go, going through. Uh and they run yeah, from taking off. The plane yeah. mustn't take off. And so they they try to do it, but obviously Benji can't accessly do it. And then um uh, Tom Cruise just pops out from nowhere. <laughs> yeah, literally. Where's he come from? Yeah, he, I think it's because oh, it's done in a field in the middle of the day. It does not look that cinematic. And you have that shot of Tom Cruise running. <laughs> and, it, and it almost looks like it's part of a sketch show. Like, you see like, Tom Cruise <laughs> just jog amongst the field somewhere. There he it's is. the way he comes steaming past the camera to start with. Yeah. And all I could think of was Red Dwarf again. <laughs> the bit where, like, Lister goes, change of plan, leg it! <laughs> <laughs> It does look a little bit like that. Yeah, the camera's the opposite angle, but it's the exact same principle. <laughs> yeah, apparently, well, do we need to say this at this stage? He did it for real. The other thing, um, Macqu- Macquarie said, when the original conception of the film, they were talking to the studio quite a lot about this, because it was going to be near the end of the film. And he said, if you've just got the crew and the plane, you can do that. He said, but once you start having it that the bad guy is chasing them, he said, immediately you've got cars involved. He said, you've got more of the crew there, more cast and crew there. He said, and also, because you've got to shoot it at different angles, you then have to build sections of the plane and sections of the wing. wing. And I can't remember if he said it would have made 10 or $20 million to the bu- difference to the budget just to do that. And when they eventually conceived of it this way, there was a big argument with the company that make the A400 plane as well because... They wanted to put a big sign on it saying A400 and stuff like that. Mm. Um, eventually, when they said, eventually it was Macquarie who said, let's just put it at the start. He said, it's just, it's a stunt. And he says that. He said, it's not a sequence, it's a stunt. He said, let's just put it at the start of the film. And um, I mean, as a stunt, it works really well. The only problem is it's a very difficult stunt to in any way tease. 
Because if you think of the Burj Khalifa, all you got to do is show a single shot of him up there somewhere and you'll go, fuck me, what's he up to in this film? You can't tease this without showing him on the side of the plane, which they did in all the trailers, which actually fucking gives away the money shot anyway. Yeah, and the problem is, with the Burj Khalifa bit in Dubai, there's... You, you know what's leading to this. So you know what he has to do. So you have the background here. We just <laughs> jump straight in. And and then we and then we kind of okay. Well, there's some stuff on a plane. They need to stop it. They can't do it. Ethan showed up, jumped on a plane, and then before we know it, credits. And it's just yeah, because he's in the plane, and you think, oh right, they're coming back to hunt him. What now? Yeah, and it's immediately. Well, I'll just open a parachute, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, there, there could have been something more to that. Even do you know what I mean? They're like you know, like oh yeah, but. Yeah, it what just feels. <clears throat> what disappointed me was it followed um, four, which doesn't start with a stunt like this, but it starts with an intriguing sequence where where. Do you remember me saying last week when you had the prison scene, all I kept thinking of was questions. Mm. You know, I'd watch it and I'd go, "What's that about? And why is that? And why is he there? And what's that happening?" So it just teases a film really well, as well as being a self-contained little bit. Here, I didn't really care. Because it just immediately telegraphed. It's got nothing to do with anything. We're just starting with an action sequence. The other thing was, I really liked that they lit the fuse in yeah. situ in the last film, and they didn't do it here. And they were planning to. The We'll talk about it in the next scene, but the, the scene at the record store was where the fuse was meant to be lit. And it is the problem of trying to make films in an agile way, where you're constantly moving things around. And he just said, perfect place to light the fuse but in the flow of the film it doesn't work it takes too long to get there and it's too small a sequence and that bit's meant to be post credits really or post titles anyway but we'll come one I, I will just tell you now it was supposed to be Solomon Lane I don't like the I like the idea but I don't like the idea because he was going to blow up the record store by lighting a match and just throwing it behind him and that was going to or lighting a fuse with that but again, the bad guy just blowing the place up, walking away with a match is a bit cliched in itself. But um, I, do, I do like the idea of transitioning into titles organically like that. And it's a shame they haven't really done it here. It's an okay sequence. It's an incredible stunt. But it is just a stunt, really. And mm. um, Yeah, that's kind of part of the problem. It just leads to nowhere. That being said, um, I do really like the actual title bit, though. Uh, the the use of shots of teasers of of the film that's to come is really effective because it just it gives you enough quick shots, it, it quick cool nothing. shots. I have to go. Oh, what's that? Oh, what, what, what's that bit? What's oh, that, that bit cool. Like... Oh, you know, do you know what I mean? But it doesn't give you any context to ruin anything. But you just no, kind of like you'll get a quick shot of Ilsa walking up the stairs in the ball gang. Yeah. And, and, then, you, and then, you'll get, then you'll cut to like you Benji might, you might see her with a gun or that and then you'll see Benji yeah. with yeah. like a but thing in his eye and... and a couple of times it cuts into them on three beats like mm. the first film uh, they ruined it in the last film they just lingered on shots too long and gave a couple of key details away one particularly we should not have known that missile was definitely going to be fired yeah that was a spoiler alert here we get nothing absolutely nothing but you get little sh establishing shots as well like when they go to Vienna there's a definitely establishing a shot of the um, uh, opera house in the mm. in the title sequence so it shows you that there's going to be 
uh, dress up if you like there's going to be like women in ball gowns like bond style you see there's going to be action you see there's going to be locations um it's really good and it keeps cutting back to like yeah. the fuse burning down as well yeah so there's a bit of the tv series there's a bit of the first one cutting in on the characters in three beats there's a bit of the fourth one but just cut much more cleverly um, what he actually said about this Macquarie is he said they, they put it out to companies to come up with ideas for this and he said that he couldn't decide between two so they used both so hence the end credit has, has another title sequence and it's because he basically put the preferred one at the front but another one he really loved at the end mm. yeah I get my, that makes sense I, I, do, I do prefer this one though because this, this one just has such a visceral energy to it uh, the one at the end feels a bit more retro somehow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it works. It's really, really good. Uh, and then what do we come out to? Do we come out to London or do we come out to... Yeah, we come straight Senate to hearing? London. Uh, he's you know, Tom Cruise at a record shop. Yeah, and again, this was Tom Cruise's idea because he's got a massive vinyl collection. He's a huge uh, fan of uh, vinyl records. Uh, apparently has a massive collection and uh, he was very involved in designing the store as well he was very much i want to design the sort of store everyone would want to go to isn't he a fan of everything doesn't he have like oh i've got a huge collection of this (laughs) yeah you can imagine (laughs) it's starting on a pig farm and it's like tom cruise has the best pig farm in the world (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean yeah (laughs) whatever it is he does it's going to be top shelf yeah and we started at a patisserie. Tom Cruise has a fantastic patisserie in his house. <laughs> you know, so. He makes an excellent. I, 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 I think he's got a really good stainless steel delicatessen. He got it off Sean Harris's predecessor <laughs> at one of the forerunners of the syndicate. Oh dear. You guys, please do your Sean Harris impressions. We did them off air and it just had me in stitches. Please share that with the listeners again. Pressure there. <laughs> well, don't yeah, actually. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. See how it goes. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> they were really good. Fair, really but, good. Yeah, well, Dave was more of Richard Attenborough, though, so that was like. Yeah, I, that was <laughs> David Attenborough. Yeah, sorry. I, I... Chris, Chris went really Nicky creepy darling. and I effectively narrated a fucking nature video or something. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. And they both were very, very good and amazing. Mine was good if you were looking for an impression of somebody else entirely. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good impression, but not a short Harris. Not the one I was expecting. And this is a Tom Cruise. He... <laughs> He hunts in the wild, <laughs> doing ridiculous things. Admittedly, I was narrating porn, but we do talk about some weird shit off here. <laughs> yeah, true. Anyway. Yeah, There's so... Um, yes. narrates porn as David Attenborough. Yeah, so they get a sense of, like, uh, legendary status, because the, the girl says, like, oh, it's really you. They got all those stories can't be true, when he gives a kind of, like, a look of go... Maybe. Yeah, he's like, it, it, it's me! Hooray! <laughs> it's me, yes! But Ethan, where have you been? Where haven't I been? <laughs> yeah. I, I love the fact it's all, it's all coded language, isn't it? He's asking yeah. for like some a record and she's like suggesting things and he ends up, I can't remember what he goes for. Now is it Miles Davis or something? Yeah, some something of that. All, got all kinds of jazz, isn't that? Aren't there, goes, I think? goes into a real old-timey listening booth, sort of 1960s style. <laughs> Soundproof. Uh, 
which you do actually see if you look carefully. You see Sean Harris sat in the one next door, but it's blinking. It's you, you blink and you miss it. And then he plays the he, he plays the record, and it's not IMF. It sounds like it might be, but then it's like because we are the syndicate. I can't believe it's not IMF. IMF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let us go back a bit. I can't believe yeah, it's not the IMF, it's the I can't believe it's I can't not believe it's not the IMF. Yes, it's the special executive for counterintelligence. <laughs> <laughs> I was still trying to work out what the you know, what the syndicate um acronym would be. I'll think of one. Alright, good luck with that. It's <laughs> <laughs> beginning with the letter Y that isn't the obvious one. I'm um, just thinking of bottom live, it'll be Oxford United. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll think of something. Yeah, it'll be really tortured. But yeah, so yeah. this syndicate who basically have you know, are like their whole message is effectively ha ha, isn't it? <laughs> it is basically ha. We did it before you. It's like yeah, but so because you are not catching because we are the syndicate. Your mission is to die or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Or it's basically a warning, and you see, you know, Ethan. Um, well, Ethan sees uh, Sean House's character. Uh, who, I mean, I mean, I do wonder about Sean Sean Harris because you know he never gets like the the nice kind of sweater rolls, does he? You know, you know he never well, seems as that could... nice, warm, cuddly guy. You know, he always gets typecast as well. You mean weirdos. he wasn't like Harry when Harry met Sally or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine he, doing he those? Should, he should have played the he should have played the Hugh Grant character in Notting Hill, something like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. You could do an impression of him admitting to Andy McDowell in Four Weddings and a Funeral that he'd only had nine lovers, I'm sure. <laughs> if I could quote Nine Weddings, but I can't remember any, any line. <laughs> All right, fair enough. The, 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 the only line I can quote is the Andy McDowell line, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, is, basically... He, he, is, he, is, it, is it raining? What? I hadn't noticed. That's <laughs> Yeah, and then Sean Harris as, as he looks lovely into Hugh Grant's eyes. Anyway, even better in that than Andy McDowell. <laughs> oh, true, but oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, fair comment. But, oh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he shoots the shop at- attendant who is presumably IMF or at least allied to IMF in some way, yeah. and Tom Cruise is gassed. Yeah, trapped. Now, and, uh... Unlike the Playboys, he doesn't wake up to find like he's got to fight some lady mud wrestlers or something. Because <laughs> that's what I thought of. I thought of going, oh no, it's poisonous gas. But we look, you do that much, you're more like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few bits in this film that would work as parody, even though I think the film's really like good. But yeah. So yeah, he's gassed, and and then we go then... to the MIF trial. Uh, we get to find out that well, he gets mentioned because. Uh, Jeremy Renner does mention the fact that he has said on the phone earlier we're under investigation. Yeah. Um, and so they're ha- now at a hearing where you've got this new guy Hundley, Alan Hundley, played by Alec Baldwin. Eric. Uh, Eric. There you go. And that's all right. I was teeing you in to say that. And <laughs> he's the basically saying the greatest actor ever to live <laughs> from the film actors guild. The film actors guild. <laughs> Oh, just go and watch Team America. If you're not getting any of these references, listeners, where have you been? So yeah, he's basically arguing they're just uh, their their methods that they're completely out of control. 
kind of a little bit like uh, Angela Bassett in the next film, just m- making them sound like they're a bit of a joke, really, with yeah. all the masks and the rest of it. And uh, Jeremy Renner, because of like confidentiality, can't confirm or deny anything anyway. But he is, we are shown that the Kremlin was flattened. Uh, what else are we shown? We're shown something else from oh, the last Oh, yeah, film. San Francisco, where the uh, the oh, tower but, got... yeah, the, the the rocket hit the side of that build, clipped the yeah. side of that build. Yeah, basically, and so he, like, they're, they're too they're too reckless. There's too like it was too mm-hmm. close to call, kind of thing. Yeah, and actually, the the sort of hearing the people running the hearing are saying, "Well, your results seem more about luck than anything else." Mm. Yeah, so. Where it's from not there? going well. So, oh, I love the fact he says to him something like, "This is a bit that's like Riley funny," where he says to him, "You know, watch out because you'll be shut. You know, by tomorrow you'll be shut down, or by tomorrow Ethan will be captured, or something like that." And then it cuts to six months later. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, we cut to uh, Ethan and uh, well, he's all tied up, and we get first introduced to Elsa. Oh, actually, yeah, we do. We have that before, don't we? We yeah. cut back to because that cuts forward to six months later after he says that. Sorry, yeah, we he's he's tied up, uh, basically stood up with his hands up, tied up like Attack of the Clone style. Mm. Good job, yeah. <laughs> um, and she's there's a big thing about her shoes in this. Macquarie does talk about it. Sh- the, he references her shoes, and she's always taking her shoes off and stuff. But yeah, we see Ilsa, who looks like she's about to torture him or something. Mm. And uh, yeah, she has like a, a rabbit's foot uh, keychain, and yeah, she you know they, you know they have this big other henchman co- coming in. They, you know they start punching him, but she kind of g- gives Ethan uh, like a bit of a knowing look just to sort of say on my marks, and she you know, and she sort of knocks out the the main guy and fr- then throws him the keys, and then there's a, a fight ensues. Yeah. Um... Ilsa immediately, I mean, I don't know how much of this is stunt work and stuff, but immediately she moves extremely well. Yeah. Because half the time Ethan's out of commission in this, he, he can't reach his hands together to unlock himself mm. to start with anyway. But he does that amazing so she... that amazing thing of, oh, fucking hell, I mean, obviously it's Kong too, so he must have really did that. But he sort of, yeah, like, he starts, like, you know, flexing his body to kind of, like, just sort of jump up the pole. I think, Yeah, yeah he's got amazing kind of flexibility, hasn't he? Oh, fuck me. But yeah, there's there's a big fight scene. Uh, she she allows Ethan to escape while maintaining. Well, I'm not really sort of explaining why why she did what she did, but she um, but she lets him lets him go, and and says you better get out of here. You uh, the, the story is you kill these men, uh, and you got away, kind of thing. Uh, I'm you know I, I I managed to get out alive. Blah blah. blah. Uh, and then she, and then he runs down the corridor, yeah. and they can't even shoot. Uh, they can't even hit him down that narrow corridor. <laughs> down <laughs> that narrow straight corridor, no. <laughs> yeah, but he gets out, and then yeah, we do cut back to Hundley saying to to Reno, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be shut down, and we will capture Ethan, mm. you know, and it'll be as soon as tomorrow, sort yeah. of thing. Cuts forward to six months later. Yeah, nope, still going, and, uh, and yeah, so six. Six months later, we it's established after a couple of minutes that he's in Paris. Yeah, Ethan is hunted. Mm. Get, it? Get it? Get it? Yeah, it's like what so, he did there. Yeah, so he basically sort of distracts the, the CIA to, to where he actually really is, don't they? They they think he's somewhere, and 
and really he kind of draws them to the wrong room yeah uh, but he's been spending all that time getting intel from Benji on the syndicate because he's got a ton of details and he stayed ahead of all their leads mm. on him. And also um, Benji is being treated. This is what I mean about you've got to balance the IMF because there comes a point where it's like, well, why would you work for them? Mm. He's working there and he's being like put through lie detector tests every week because they're assuming he's aiding Ethan somehow. Which he is, but he is passing the lie detector test as well. Which is another reminder that for being comic relief, the Benji character is actually competent, very competent. Yeah, yeah he's, you know, he, he, he's, he, he holds his own, as, yeah. you know, alongside the, the big guns. As I well. mean, to, to be fair, we as an audience at first, because we don't know he's, he's helping Ethan at, at this point, uh, we almost kind of believe it. He almost believes that he does feel like he's just been abandoned. Like he feel, he he does feel like he's like, well, I'm disappointed because he's just kind of left me yes. in shit. But obviously, we do find out in time. Mm. But he spends all his day playing Halo. Yeah, I think and it's quite interesting. Like when we see him again, like he's disbound. Like also the first time we met him, he's disbound, had the beard, looked a bit scruffy, and we had a bit of time seeing him in the field where his look completely changed. And here again, we see him disbound with a beard, obviously still quite fit. Um, like physically, um, IMF has but, shut down though, so he's been reassigned to the CIA basically. Well, this is it definitely, but I think it's quite interesting how he, you know, he kind of goes back. So it's kind of not like a backward step, but I just think it's an interesting callback. I think throughout this film, there are little moments where, like, especially through Benji, I'm not quite sure why it's through Benji. Um, Macquarie might know more about that, um, but there's lots of callbacks to the previous films, and they're kind of made, you know, Benji sort of calls them out. Um, but I think that's quite interesting here that he kind of obviously he's been reassigned to the CIA. Um, and he's disbound once again, but he has the kind of the same look they had, you know, when we first when we first met him, um, which I think is interesting. But he still he still kind of you know he still gives it to the man, hundred percent. Absolutely. Where do we go from there? Uh, well, Ethan's escape, I'm assuming. Yeah, Benji yes. gets some opera tickets, and That's so it. so he's a bit disgruntled with his new job. So he's like, okay, fucking interrogated every day. He goes fuck it. And uh, <laughs> you think, you know, you think he's, he's getting won it right. tickets to Turandot in Vienna. In Vienna, <laughs> yes, let's go. And uh, at no point, this was addressed in the Macquarie interview. There's no real answer to it, but at no point does he think, "Hang on a minute, I didn't enter this competition." <laughs> I was going to say, if he suddenly received competition tickets, I'd be like, "Hmm, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember entering this one." Yeah, but he heads to Vienna anyway because there's a lead on Solomon Lane there. Yes. And all the other me- other members of Quantum. <laughs> it's effectively Tosca isn't for everyone, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, someone Lane is literally there, Have like Mr. White, look, looking at film. looking at his phone, isn't he? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, literally. Is like, why you should people nice, you, people should nice, find a better place to meet. Nice subtle uses of tech here, though, because he gets there and picks up like a program or something. When he opens it, it's an electronic book, and to do all the things he needs to do. It's kind of like. Is it like like smart people almost isn't it it's quite it's, it's very interesting like eat ink and that sort of thing as well um a few years obviously before and he's basically yeah, watching yeah. the crowd to try and find the relevant people who were involved mm. in the syndicate because tom cruise has as as he worked out by this point that they're basically all um dead or disavowed agents supposedly dead agents mm. or yeah i think they're kind of what they're working out aren't they at this point the guy he fights is supposedly dead he was like he was dead yeah. three years ago so yeah, that's what that's They're kind about. of gathering in, on intel on this. They're looking for this guy. And in the Chancellor minute. of Austria is there, and so he's the target. Yes. 
Now, the choice of this particular opera is purely that when they were location scouting, Macquarie went there himself to have a look at it. And that particular opera was playing at that time. And he was just like tickled and a bit taken by the idea of an Italian opera set in China playing in Austria. It was purely that. He just thought, that's really cool. So he, really went, international. He, he went with that. Simple as that. That was the mm. sole reason for that choice. Not that it's Ness and Dorma or anything like that. Not that it was his, his last, you know, it was, it was incomplete because he completed it before he died. No, it didn't complete it before he died. Yeah. So um, what happens in this sequence then, largely? What's the... Is it the same as Quantum? No, not really. <laughs> yeah. Well... The trouble with Quantum is they put it on such a cold-looking set. It was horrible. No, I think it's quite interesting, though. I think... I was trying to read a bit more into it, because I, I'm not familiar. Obviously, I'm familiar with Ness and Dorma. And obviously, it was a big sporting theme as well in the 90s. Um, and I think it was number two in the chart, I think, um, when the Three Tanners released that. Release their CD. Um... But yeah, I just I think, hmm. But no, I think um, sort of you can read into the themes of it as well, because obviously with um, Tosco, you've got themes of kind of like religion and corruption as well. Um, but here it's kind of, you've got a theme of identity as well, and the fact that the two kind of central lovers in, in the opera, um, they don't know each other's names. So I think I was kind of messaging Dave, I said, you know, you know more about it than, us, than me, you're you know, more cultured than I am, definitely. And it's like obviously the idea of, um, of identity, identity as well, so. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm not too familiar imagine, with opera, unfortunately. Yeah, just imagine cultured. being less cultured than me. <laughs> You're quite cultured. Like, fucking hell. <laughs> You're quite cultured, Dave. I, uh, to me, that opera is prohibitively expensive, and I, you know, it's not something I've ever, I've ever done, unfortunately. Um, I've never done it, don't worry. No. <laughs> but no, I just think I just kind of did a bit of reading, but it's interesting to like the themes of identity as well, considering... Well, we, we kind of know the identity. There's a commentary to do when we're done with Bond. <laughs> what do you want to <laughs> We'll just, yeah, we'll just do a commentary on it. Oh dear, but it's so offensive. Anyway, <laughs> um, they're just trying to stop the Chancellor being shot and then they notice that basically there's, well, he, he eventually works out that there are several people trying to kill him. Yeah, there's yes. like, well, there's there's other people, there's like another guy at the, uh, at the lighting rig, there's Elsa, and he's like, yeah. shit, well, what do I do? Um, and then there's not Stamper in the sound booth. Yeah, not Stamper. Yeah. <laughs> Again. And uh, yeah, so he he does he thinks on his feet and just sort of and shoot shoots him in in the shoulder, kind of. Yeah, it's just he hasn't got a choice. He can't he can't stop two of them. Before that, he has a fist fight. I'm not going to say that much about the fist fight because it just goes on too long, and way it, too long. It's seen fight. as a bit too you know long. What? I would agree with you there, Dave. It, it didn't matter. I think because you've got other stuff going on in between, like it cuts between that. So I think, you know. I don't think it matters. You know, I don't, I it looked, think it, it started off looking like it was going to be really inventive because Benji accidentally hit something to start mm. with and raised the platform. Yeah. I think it's lighting rigs that um, Cruz is stood on. So you think, well, they're going to constantly be like moved just as mm. they're fighting each other and things like that. And then it doesn't really play out like that. It's not bad. I just thought, I just thought it was a little bit long. That's all. Yeah. But, you know. But I think you got you got you know, scene, got the opera going on in the background. Um, yeah. uh, obviously, we hear Ness and Dorma, bef- you know, when we saw Elsa before. Um, yeah, because um, they're basically shown in the music where they've got to shoot him. They've got to shoot him on that final mm. crescendo. 
No, we just got little, little things like you know, sort of like the 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 um, the music instrument disguised as a weapon, like stuff like that. We 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 yeah, have it's like a flute or something. Yeah, one of them's like I think one's got a flute and someone else got a trumpet or something like that. I don't mm. know, can't remember now. But yeah, but yeah, no, just that that sort of like cool little element that you sort of again we don't see that much anymore. No, no, that's true actually. Yeah, it, it's um. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more for, I thought the music was good, not just the opera stuff, but the way the score sort of seeds bits of it in. And it actually moves some of the music from the opera around sort of deliberately mm. to sort of uh, match what they're trying to do in the scene and so on. Yeah, we see it, it, it through it, the film later on. Yeah, we hear it, it later on. Yeah, it, it, it does work very, very well. But um, I found it much better after the bullet was fired and he's got to get like Ilsa out of there and things like that. And honestly, I was trying to place the music. My first thought was the Living Daylights, but I didn't have time to go to the Living Daylights score to see if I was accurate with that. There is something from Bond in the score here, and I cannot tell you what that was. But, um, yeah, where they basically have to... And again, him sort of uh, grabbing hold of her and jumping off the side of the building Mm. or tethered. Very like the start as the world is not enough or something like that. Apparently, when they filmed that, he landed and said to her something like "Welcome to Mission" or something like that. <laughs> it, I th- I'm sure she said that on like Graham Norton or something like that. I um, I enjoyed it all, but like as I say, as action sequences, I've yet, to, apart from a tiny tease, I've yet to have anything that interests me as much as the last film, just generally. Yeah. But it's coming, and we do have. There's something intriguing about this Ilsa character. She she saved his life. And now she looks to be sort of working for the bad guys, and we don't know what that's about at this stage. Mm. We we know. I think we, we can kind of gather that she has her own agenda, but what quite that is, we don't know. Obviously, she's a bit sympathetic, like she's allowing Ethan to live. Yeah, that's always going to harm chemistry to a degree, because she's mm. obviously not going to show the same warmth to Ethan. Mm. She is just this. They can't, really, <clears throat> can't really get too close, can they? No, absolutely. So it's it's not the same dynamic as Julia, nor is it meant to be i think that's quite interesting when like she does all the things and then obviously in, in the previous scene to what we're discussing now he's like i've never met you or you know he's like oh, we you know we haven't met mm. and obviously you know she's kind of got this hope i was gonna say like a hold over him but but not really but yeah she's obviously letting him live saving his life being sympathetic towards him and they're kind of like hold on i don't know you <laughs> but actually they do dot 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 he recognises her. I like the fact that he drew pictures of her and Lane. And That's picture, amazing. I think he's obviously the, got a photographic memory, isn't it? What, as, as, a, as a field agent, highly trained, I, he I, must have I, that I memory. I love the picture of Lane is like quite perfunctory, but fairly accurate. And the picture of her is like bad Really luck. detailed. It is bad luck you loved her. <laughs> it really is. Like That is a, that is a drawing of someone you've got an enormous crutch on. Yeah. I think my fancy. <laughs> so you don't know. But was it as good as the one he drew in his hand to uh, last week? I don't know. He gets that into his film somewhere. Does it depend on what his canvas is? Maybe in Vanilla Sky, he did like um, him. He did like a drawing of Penelope Cruz at one point. I don't know if that's just something Tom Cruise is into. Never thought of that before. Yeah, is it it him drawing it or is it? An artist comes in. Oh, it's Tom Cruise. He does everything. He probably, he probably. No, he does it all himself, doesn't he? He probably went to like six years of art classes to prepare for that. So. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, doesn't you surprise know me that he did. You know what he's like. Yeah, he, he does it all. He does the best portraits. Yeah. So <laughs> they get out. For the, the chancellor gets away. He shot the chancellor in the shoulder. The shoulder. The, the the chancellor is injured. They get him out of there, but then the car's blown up. 
So the Chancellor's dead anyway, and you know they we've worked out Ethan is there. So once again, it's just worsening things for a disavowed agent that Alan Hunley is is believing is actually just the 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 syndicate is a figment of his imagination in order to keep the IMF relevant, basically to give them an enemy. Which reminds me of three a little bit because I always felt that's what Billy Crudup was doing. He was just trying to give them a reason for being. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Brandt goes and contacts Luther next, doesn't he? Yeah, so. Um, where are we now? Yeah, so. Yeah, so um, it's yeah, basically so... can you help me find Ethan before they find Ethan because they're going to kill Ethan? Simple yes. as that. So, uh, yeah, so, yes, basically Elsa explains, um, like, of, of, like, of, of the syndicate, basically a bit more about the syndicate, uh, you have, uh, Baldwin connects Ethan with, like, what's happened in the opera, so, like, so, like, what Ethan was, seen, was, was, was in, um, was at, at the opera at the same time when X got killed, now, this could be circumstantial, but, to us, that being that's like that's like evidence to say that he, he's he's involved in this. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So we have. But again, he's not being unreasonable. He's not being unreasonable. They've deliberately not made this character a, you know, a boo yeah. hiss guy, have they? Very wisely because they're going to reuse him, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, you can definitely sort of like, well, from his perspective, you would think that was a bit, you know, dodgy, should we say? But. Um, so, yeah, so Ethan tries to sort of send Benji. So, okay, right, you did your job. Now, 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 go back for. But Eve, but Benji does. Um, he does... demands to stay, but he almost like launches into a speech, and Ethan's immediately all right. <laughs> he's like, and he's like, we we gives this kind of like, and that's that. He's like, yeah, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, Grant calls him. Brant calls in Luther basically to find him. Yeah. And that's where we get the whole thing around the drawings. And he just said, he knows her. He knows her. She's the key. We mm. need to find her. He, yeah. He, he he trusts her and, uh, and whatnot. And we... Uh, and they they follow uh, and Elsa... Sorry, Ethan follows Elsa to Casablanca. Yeah. She's basically... Yeah. Before she leaves, she gives him like this little thing from her hair, doesn't yeah. she? And it's got a little USB in it. It's like you, you, but... you've, you've got everything you need to find me. Yeah, and it's basically she's in Morocco. Yeah. So they head there, and Tom Cruise wears some nice summery clothing. <laughs> and does some nice sightseeing while Simon Pegg looks all touristy. Yeah. Where do we go first? He goes to there. He goes finds her house, doesn't he? Yeah, he just go. He's just not straight on. She's like she's there practicing, holding her breath. Yeah, I know. And Lo- Lois Charles like answers. Yeah. No. <laughs> um. So yeah, she gets out of the water all Bond girl style. Yeah. Not particularly Ursula Andress, but it's just got the feel of a Bond girl. You can just uh, hear Barry's score just rise up as soon as she like comes out the water, yeah. can't you? And they're like, rather, tick-tock, <laughs> woof. Smashing. <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, she... she woof! She, she, <laughs> she obviously, they, they obviously like have a big sort of exposition scene now where it's yeah. explained what they've got to do. And she was, she's basically, she's been basically tried, she's let, the, she's let Solomon lay down twice. 
because she's working for British intelligence anyway. And she outlines that basically there is a list of all of the people involved in the syndicate. And that's when we get to the next sort of, we build up to the next set piece of the film, really. Mm. Where we get the sort of like, it's like, well, it'd be difficult. It, it, it's impossible. They've got to get in to get this stuff. But they again, this was all in the making of the film. The first idea was one thing and it got added to. And eventually it became, right, if we need Tom to do that stunt, then it needs to be Benji that's going in there and so yeah. on. And again, I like it when they do things like this, when they come out with stuff that genuinely seems impossible. It's a bit Ocean's Eleven that way. They've got to go through several layers of sort of technology mm. and you, you know, you've got to have a proper voice print and you've got to have, and they use gate analysis. So he, he's even got to have the walk of the guy he's imitating. Um, there was, again, there was a big, um, a lot of the, there were a lot more, in the original scripts, there were a lot more sort of uh, false face gags, masks. Mm. And um, he felt, for quarry that they've been overused in the previous films and he said that uh, basically we've got to work out what the over under is on it how many times can you realistically use that device and he came up with the idea that it's twice wants to introduce what it is and then wants to use it and not more than that and they actually cut a lot of sort of benji using this and actually had to put other things into the film to sort of placate him, really, because he was a bit disappointed to lose that stuff, apparently, Simon Pegg. But this is now going to involve Tom Cruise. And the, the idea behind this stunt as well is, he said, we genuinely do have to have a sequence that is impossible. And they do, because Ethan dies during this sequence, effectively. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, again, it's like Simon Pegg, uh, comedic timing, going like, what? You only got to hold your breath for two minutes. <laughs> three minutes, you can do that. Three, you, yeah. you can do that. <laughs> and Tom Cruise has that look of like, <sighs> okay, <laughs> I guess. Um, so yeah, so again, you have uh, also back um, back in uh, the old uh, CIA base, you have Luther trying to find who else there is or where where else there is, and uh, yeah. and Jeremy that Renner. comes out a little bit later as yeah. he sort of gets onto the road later they're there but, but to start it, it, with the, it, the, the gag is pretty funny where he's like oh uh so how long would it take uh not long oh no he asked him like how long would it take found it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh okay well how long oh, yeah. can you do it yeah of course can okay how long would it take I've done it <laughs> yeah it's so it, it's so underplayed it's brilliant uh <laughs> yeah so yeah they need to find where it is she's the key but uh, she's going to help them get into this facility to get into this underwater little yeah. area where he's got to change a card key in order to swap in Benji's details effectively so Benji can go through the gate analysis to steal the sort of key that's got all the information about the syndicate on it. Mm. That's all they're trying to do here. Now this sequence again um, 10 days in a tank filming this. Just yeah. commitment. I don't know how long he can hold his breath, but I know he got up to a fairly high number at one point. It's yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, you think at some point. I mean, I, I know the, the mission is to go like without anything, but yeah, you think you think they would have come up with like some like some sort of non-metal gas tank of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. You know just a I mean? feather, a, fe a feather basket full of air. Just, just a, yeah. just, just, a, just a big goldfish bowl over your head, just like you know. Again, I mean, that, that'll, no that'll do you. Yeah. 
we're not replaying the gag from the previous film that like nothing's working but we are playing like a complete lack of support so they don't yeah. really have much so i mean they 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 they're almost pushing it with what they do have so yeah this underwater sequence where he changes the key mm-hmm. again i think i still had sort of separation anxiety from the Burj Khalifa sequence because I remember when I first saw this just nothing was impressing me quite as much you haven't and got fact, the visual the bit, like fuck me that's high do you that's what it is I I think we get this from the Bond series I don't think underwater is fantastically exciting full mm. stop so it doesn't it doesn't work as well as it, well they've never done anything like this in Bond to be fair no but, well, but I've, I just you yeah, but there was nothing. Ever dies. Uh, well, you can keep naming Bond films. Uh, they haven't done anything like this in <laughs> no, Bond. Ha- no, yeah. we have, we've actually never seen anything like uh, this un- before. Underwater in Bond is just him fl- swimming around. Swimming around yeah, no, this is. <laughs> Well, this is, it's quite unique, you know, as a, a kind of plot device as well. It's it's quite unique what? as well. Um, cause, you know, it's, it's very high tech. It's very dangerous, and we see he nearly dies basically. Um, it's, it, literally, it's, it's one of these you know one of these moments. I remember seeing this at cinema, and it literally to quote Tarantino again. I bought the seat, but I was using literally the very edge of it. I was almost on the other seat in front of me, thinking, oh my god, this is so tense. Whatever reason, I don't know about you, Chris, it didn't really do it for me. Yeah, I kind of like in between both, really. Uh, I mean, there is always an element of underwater sequences that make me zone out, but this did have an element of, all right, come on, come on, you're taking too long, oh shit, oh shit. Uh, Plus you got that with, you know, come back with... um, uh, Simon Pegg's character do, doing what he needs to do, but with just things just going wrong, you know, when when they when when the things start working in 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 the tank, then it, when it shouldn't do, it just you you, you, the you moment know before you know, he gets the card it. in and Simon is due to walk through Benji, mm. that moment is the bit that's tense. But I just prefer the stuff on land that follows. Yeah, but that's just me. I think that's just personal taste, to be honest. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely more of the uh, the, the speed chase scene, a lot more my speed. Um, yeah. But we're, we're getting to that. So yeah, so Elsa dives in and saves him and resuscitates well, what him. I find, yeah, she resuscitates him and then steals what they've gone in to take in the yeah. first place. Yeah, <laughs> I love all that. Just, just, I, just you know, just when you think, oh, she's on their side. Huh. Yeah, I do enjoy all that. So the film's got it's, me. It's, it's got my clever. interest. But obviously, we're about to go into like almost a Fallout standard load of like road stuff. It reminds me of Fallout quite a lot. We go from cars to bikes and all the rest of it. And mm. Ethan is still not quite with it because he died moments before. Yeah. So you know he's like, "But you were dead a minute ago," and he's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> it's like, "Is he with it?" And that that the sequence in the car is great. It's probably one of my favourite bits of the film. Yeah, so yeah, he, he jumps in. Elsa gets uh, tracked down by the syndicate, saying, "You come with us," and she instantly sort of just bolts it. So, so yes. syndicate chasing Elsa, and Ethan's chasing after after Elsa, who you know, and fighting off syndicate people yeah. that are now chasing after Elsa because she gets the jump on them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we get like, and also you have uh, uh, Jeremy Renner and uh, Luther. Have arrived uh, because have, they've worked out where they are. So they're they're on they're on the lookout. So you have this big car chase that ends in a in a huge crash, and then we get then we then they backwards backwards. Yeah. I just thought 
It's a bit like the Fast franchise. Can they, have a, car on, can they have a car on fire as well? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a really visceral stunt, though. Yeah, definitely. And it... uh, and then he's straight onto a bike. You think you were dead a couple of minutes ago? Yeah, you just had a massive car crash, and now you're just jumping on a bike without a helmet. You know, you know, very... Uh... That's always deliberate, so you can tell it's him. I know. Um, they know. talk about that a lot, you know. I mean, they were joking away about what what's next, like a rattlesnake down the trousers. And he said, well, you know, if I said that to Tom, his first question would be, how do you know it's my trousers? How do you know it's my he goes, <laughs> you know, he goes, he goes straight into, like, practicalities. And uh, he, he, gave, he gave, came up with a couple of examples. And he said, well it just becomes a stunt then because you can't see it's him. You know, there was an idea where it was a guy who did it. He said, it's a Red Bull stunt. you got this guy doing a stunt with a helmet on. You don't know it's him. So it's all thought through. But yeah, anytime he's on a bike, he's never wearing a helmet. And that's why. Yeah. He's he's very keen that the, the audience don't feel cheated. Because um, the other thing he said, you know, because he said a lot of people think it's ego. He said, particularly early in the film where he had like no top on and stuff. Mm. And he said Tom Cruise would very much prefer to act with his shirt on, believe me. He said, but, you know, sometimes um, it's just what's right for the scene or how the character gets there. And it's the same with the no helmet. It's not, look what I'm doing. It's, you can be assured this is me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I get that from just just from a storytelling perspective, not rather than like a spectacle. It's just, you know... You have to know where, where who your leading man is and where he is, and when everyone's wearing a helmet, you don't know who or what everyone is at any one time. So, if you if you know your leading man, you you know you, you know that's him. Yeah. So you know it, it's just from a I understand it from even just from a storytelling point yeah. of view. Uh, it, it, it it genuinely becomes if you can't tell it's me, what's the point in even doing it? Yeah. Um, because then it's just a stunt and it can be anyone. Yeah. So, and then you've got no connection to the character. And that's what Macquarie said. It's about connection to the character. If you, can, if you don't know who that is, why would you care? Yeah. So, I, I get it. But it goes into the bike bit. The car is probably my favorite bit of the sequence. The bike bit's been done better in other, in other things. But, but it's it, very yeah. fast and very... It's very fast. I can't believe the speed he's going at. And literally, you know, Vespa style, she sort of turns up in the road right in front of him. Yeah. Not, not on the floor in the same way, but yeah. It's um, is there much more to say about this action sequence? She basically gets away with it, and he's on the floor, sort of moderately injured. <laughs> just dusted, <laughs> just just dusted off a little bit, and then. <laughs> well, it, 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 he's clearly had a bad day, but he's all right to carry. I think for everything that he goes through, he kind of he comes off quite well in this film. Like the other, the other previous films, we've seen him kind of beaten up, bruised, you know, bones broken, things like that. Well, but in this film, no considering pain. everything he goes through. He comes off kind of, you know, a few scratches here and there, but... I don't know about that, Becker. His shirt is rather ruined afterwards, so... Yeah, his shirt is a bit damaged. <laughs> you have to go to the tailors, you know, buy a new one. Well, you think there's an eight-week time gap at the end of the... Time jump at the end of the fourth film. And at the end of Fallout, he's in hospital. You know, field hospital, quite badly hurt. So, yeah, this film, he actually gets off a little bit lighter, considering he just died. Yeah, and then the, the, the rest of the team are back at the bar, and... Uh... It turns out Benji made a copy. But there's nothing on it. Or no, is there nothing on no, it? There's, there's nothing, nothing on the original. No, there, yeah, there's, there's nothing, no, on the original. nothing on Elsa. So I think what in terms is, he, he, I think he just, he, for whatever reason, just gave her like a blank one. Or made her believe okay. there was a blank one. Right, because, okay. But it does turn out later, there's nothing on it. Does she, she go and meet her boss at this stage? 
British intelligence. Yes. Just by the Thames. Yes, because she's and like, she wants right. out. Yeah. And now she's not British. We must stress that because he said she's nationless. And of course, well, the actress is, it, is you know, Swedish. She's, again, so... she's the rogue nation in the title. Obviously, IMF are essentially. They're all rogue nations. The all syndicate of them. is the rogue nation of the title. Yeah, definitely. But I think she's stateless. You know. Um, yeah. IMF are also essentially stateless, kind of, even though they come under the umbrella towards yeah, the it's end. Worth point, but... It's worth pointing out they haven't cast a Swede as a Brit. She's not British. No. I think she... because she's got that internationality about her, yeah. um, you know, she can go anywhere with anyone. For any occasion, she's very much of the world, rather than belonging to a particular. I think she was. Like, yeah. was doesn't she have British parents or something? Like that? She has some connection with Britain, though. She is like I think she was I'm raised sure in Sweden. I, that I can't remember, but yeah, she he, he makes a point of saying that she'll be stateless if she doesn't yeah. play ball. Yeah. But it basically, gets, gets disowned. Yeah. Unfortunately. But yeah, she's still involved, and she's he's sending her back in. Basically, mm. she wants extracting from the hole. She's been deep cover, which Ethan spotted a, a, immediately. But she's been doing this for British intelligence. Yeah, because she wants she wants she wants to get to get out, and and um, the 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 team uh, look at the uh, ledger and find out like it can only be accessed by a PM by Prime Minister. Yeah, it needs the Prime Minister's voice print. Prime Minister being Tom Hollander. Then they meet her at like Waterloo Station or something, and she actually says, "Come away with me." So that's the first. Yeah, yeah it's like that's like third option. Come away with me. They were they played fast and loose with the whole romance angle actually because they said um, there are versions cuts of this film where there are kisses and things like that, and they never played right. And they, both actor, actor, actress, and. Um, test audiences all felt that that any attempt to put that in was kind of forced so they've they've played it down definitely but that's that's your hint that's your hint at it here though that's one of the things i think what makes it work because you don't really need any like physical sexiness on screen you just have like have like a connection and that's it yeah that itself can be sexy do you know? Do you know what I mean? I mean that could be anything. That you know could be like all oh, potential or just a you know we're just too yeah, too of a kind. It just... The fact that you know, and they did come down on the line of no, they're colleagues or they're you know whatever. Mm. But that doesn't mean they always have to be that in real life. People's relationships change sometimes. Yeah. You know, people partner up with someone they may have worked with for a long time or something like that. So it, it works fine. But yeah, I'm just saying that they did have. Um, they did have elements of this film where they did try to play up that romance angle, and the only bit that's real left, really left, is where she says, "Come away with me." But the whole team are there, basically surrounding her. What is their goal here? What is their goal when they go to find Ilsa, knowing she's got nothing, effectively? Uh, probably to get information from the syndicate, or to at least because I think Ethan want, probably wants to make sure that wants to protect her in some way, some capacity. Okay. Uh, I, I yeah, I can't remember. But basically, they they, they go and meet up. But it turns out the syndicate actually takes Benji. I mean, it's a, in, in plot story in in storytelling, it's a distraction so that mm. then they haven't got their eyes on Benji for a minute. Mm. And Benji gets basically um, kidnapped here by the syndicate by Lane. So they have to. They essentially they now have to unlock the box, unlock the red yeah. box. It's called. And so basically, they need to go and get the prime minister. Who's at Blenheim Palace? Yeah, 
and and of course um, uh, Hunley's Hunley's well. turned up because uh, yeah. um, uh, Jeremy Renner's uh, rang in, um, which now at this point does it does he do this without anyone knowing, or is this kind of are we meant to believe that he did that? It kind of seems like it was all part of the plan, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think it's all part of the plan. Because I, I think how this plays out is actually quite inspired how like, they managed to sort of not only get them off the hook with Hunley, but make like, the whole situation just turn around. They managed to get they managed to to get what they need, get to like prove prove they're basically that they're they're innocent yeah. in front of Hunley, and to and incriminate <laughs> the um, the MI6 guy. Yeah, um, Atley. Very, very British name there. Not Clement Attlee, I have yes. to add. Well, that's the first name you think of, Clement Yeah, that's Attlee. the only Attlee that I know about. But, um, yeah, the, the way he plays out, I think it's actually really sort of like quite well done. Um, you know, it's, it's also a bit of humour as well with the true serum, particularly the primary. I mean, like, um, Tom Holder's co- uh, comedic timing here is just great. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> fantastic, isn't he? I think he's, your he's your hand well is very does. warm. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the look that Jeremy Runner gives he's like hmm got a very Every- warm hand right I love yeah. Tom Hollander but yeah basically it turns out that uh, uh, Atley is Ethan isn't it he does a quite yeah. revealing and removes the mask yeah. yeah the one mask that we see in this film and again huge rewrites here um, oh definitely uh, no I, I think with these especially with these last three films I think it's you know it's it's a well known trope of the TV series and of these films. Um, these a lot of masks, um, a lot of quite derailing moments. Um, I'm going to eke out that phrase till the very end. But there's hardly any in this film deliberately. No, literally it's the one, and and that was it. And I think and you get, now now's the right get, time. You I get think otherwise se- it becomes distracting. Well, you get those sequences like in Fallout where you see a possible playing out of the scenario. So you see Benji in a mask, but obviously it's just a possible what yeah. might be. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, that I mean, he said that they did a whole se- they did whole sequences that explained different things that that ended up getting cut. So, where you've got you've got Atley saying to Hunley something like, "Last time we heard from you, you were hunting rogue agents in Morocco." Well, that's a whole sequence. That, that, he said that's an orphan line because that's a whole sequence we cut. So um, you can just tell, and there's a sequence. Uh, forget the line. But there's a line in this that Jeremy Renner delivers, where he, which he shot later against like green screen, or something like that, and they had to comp it in. So they're just making this up on the fly, really. Um, and the whole prime minister thing was added late. So it's an incredible piece piece of almost guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah, it works. It works really well because you because you you know you, you would think. I mean, one one of the good things about um, Macquarie and his on the fly writing is. A lot of the time is you honestly would not tell, could not tell. You think no, you it, it think it would all be like thought out. From well, the start. he said he, he always went with logic and story. He said, but Tom Cruise is always feelings, emotions, effect on audience, that sort of thing. Mm. And he said, I've learned to be guided by that now. So they watch scenes, and they listen to feedback, and if they don't work, they go. And it doesn't matter where they are in the process; they they'll work out something else. So it's got to be a hard and stressful job making these films. You know, that line where he says uh, he's the ultimate manifestation of destiny or something Mm -hmm. like that. He he just made that up while he was on his way in one day. Yeah. And just said, well, we'll use that line. And he sort of pitched it to Tom and Tom said, great. And they went with that. 
So it, it's incredible. Yeah, there's no person but, he cannot become. And... Yeah, they just want this box un- unlocked so that they need to get Benji free. That's the whole point of this. Uh, so Benji is basically sat tied to a bomb, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. They um, they find they're at a, a lovely cafe by the river. Yeah. Where is that cafe? I've never been there. By the river. <laughs> and um, it's, you know, it's... Uh, you have that eerie thing where Simon Pegg's reiterating what uh, Summer Lane's doing or, or or talking to him. You know. This end scene is terrifying for me. I was literally just like, Arr! I remember seeing it at the cinema and literally edge of the seat moment. I think it's one of the most tense endings in the series ever. Brilliantly done, brilliantly acted and performed. Yeah, he's he's talking through an earpiece to him. So um, Benji's having to repeat what he's told. He's got one of those lenses in as well. And he's tied right up to a bomb, essentially. So tense on my life. Um, and it, yeah, it basically stops with about. Point not one nine of a second to go or something. <laughs> point yeah. seven seconds to go. <laughs> not quite. But um, no, yeah, yeah point nine, literally nineteen seconds to go. So literally down to the wire. Yeah, because Ethan decides another to three it. clicks. I mean seven. <laughs> <laughs> because Lane gives gives an ultimatum, basically sort of like, give me what I want, I'll just kill you and Veggie. But don't, yeah. and I'll this bomb will kill everyone here. So, yeah. um, but uh, Ethan calls his bluff and says, and, and sort of blags to him, saying, look. I've remembered the disc what... is empty, and he said, "Well, I've memorized it all. Yeah. So if you kill me, that's it." Now, and he, they even call out the essential ludicrousness of that. You yeah. know, you're thinking, "How would I have recorded all that?" Well, only one way to find out. Yeah, I've memorized the whole data, and basically, yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he basically gets the bomb disarmed and escapes, and then basically the chase is on, really, isn't it? And it's a really good shot when he goes to stop it because you sort of like stop it to see Ethan's face on the screen. Because yeah. view, and it's just like I, I'm not sure if it's actually used in the title sequence as one of the flashing shots, but I felt like, oh, that that kind of I, that kind of should be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's one of those like kind of like very quick but kind of very striking shots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a yeah. So basically, the the disarm Benji, Benji gets out of there, um, and Lane sort of like kill the woman, bring me hunt alive, and it basically just have a a bit of a a, a bit of a chase and a shootout. Yeah, in a very sort of very old-fashioned tower of London, around the Tower of London, basically, which gives you some idea where the cafe would have been. Um, yeah. Oh, the way Fort Forced kills uh, Ilsa kills that guy's a bit brutal, isn't it? With the knife. Well, yes, oh! a bit of stab in the chest. Yeah, literally right in the heart. But yeah. but but, but that, that's how she tends to fight like the big guy. She just like jumps on top of them. Yeah, like, right yeah there's another scene earlier on, isn't there, where she dispatches a you know, the funky with the in, in yeah. similar fashion. Yeah. But but she moves really, really well. Like even the fallout she kinda no, like she's really swift. Yeah. She's quite uh, light on her feet as well. But she yeah, it, it makes it work though as well, you know, she's having like a big fight with this you know, guy who's like twice the size of her. But it still it, it makes she's, it work. She's much more nimble. Yeah. So yeah, we have a really good sort of like uh chase scene, got a really nice location in London, um Summer Lane, uh Goes goes after Ethan and uh, and actually traps her, so it traps him, and it's just like you know, will be caught by the uh, IMF, and now he's in a box. There's glass case of emotion. You've <laughs> yes. been IMF'd. You've been IMF'd. That's it, literally. It literally yeah. is a glass case of emotion because he's like apoplectic at having been caught. Oh, yeah. or how he so wants it to play out. He's literally a, just a, like. It's a deleted scene where like Jeremy Renner and like. 
And Ving Rhames have been to B&Q that afternoon. <laughs> and bought the glass case of bought, <laughs> bought the screens and all the rest of it. But yeah. <laughs> That's the one thing he signed on. You could on do it if you're b Sean Harris signed on on the basis that you are going to kill me off because he wasn't. He just didn't desperately want to do a franchise film. So he said, as long as you oh, kill me off. And then he sort of went into the next one saying, well, as long as you kill me off. Well. Well. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 I mean, he might not be back next time round, but. He's not been killed off, though. I know. <laughs> I'll show you flashback footage, I'm sure. Last scene in the boot of, you know, not for <laughs> Last scene in the boot of that, <laughs> that Tom Cruise, he keeps hiring me. Why Damn won't it. he let me die? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, they're put into yeah custody, and then uh, they go back to the Senate, and um, yeah, they restore the IMF, and Hundley is now the new IMF secretary. Mm. Yep. Welcome to the and IMF. He's like, hey! <laughs> I must find a clip. To, yeah, he's all like, to sleep with a woman and like, a light, uh, uh, to, to light, to sleep with a man and lie to him. It's got all the strange needs. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this all just kind of feels right. It feels the right ending for the film. I will still it do does. that joke now. But um, yeah, that's it. I don't know where, I can't remember. We don't finish on Ethan, which is unusual and it is mentioned by Macquarie. So another reason for putting that sort of second title sequence, so you do see a bit of Ethan again as the film's ending. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's very stylish but as well, isn't it? Marignation. It's not. It feels. I don't know. It's. It, there's almost a strange effect from having different all these different locations with different teams, you know, different parts of the team in them. That it gives the film a scale it doesn't have because it's not actually. It doesn't actually have as much to it as the last film. It, 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 we've just sort of gone through that film quite. It's quite straightforward. Like, you know what I mean. Mm. There's there, there's not a massive amount to it. As for final thoughts for me, it's not um, it's not as good as Ghost Protocol. I think I'm pretty sure now, having seen it today. I think it's more stylish. I think it's a prettier shot film. I think some even some of the costume design putting Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson in is just a masterstroke. She's the best addition to the series Definitely. today. Amazing. Beyond the beyond putting Tom Cruise in it in the first place, obviously. Um, Was it everything that he can do? She can do. Uh, it it if feels not better. It feels even lighter than than Rogue Nation in that. Uh, sorry, than Ghost Protocol in that it's got more humour in it than I can think of. Some of the set pieces are just very stylish. I don't think they're as exciting as Ghost uh, as Ghost Protocol was. So I just think, yeah, it's in line with the standard of this sort of second half of this series. We've got three really good films in a row, but I have to say, and I'm not going to add much more to it than that, of the three, with Fallout still to come, but it reasonably fresh in my memory, this is the weakest of the three. Becca? Mm, I think for me at the moment, just the, the two are on a par, definitely. I mean, with, you know, different flavours. Um, but yeah, for me to go, they're kind of equal footing, but however, I am really looking forward to, the, to Fallout next week um, I rank these three kind of very highly indeed yeah it, it zips along really well um, even though there's like a minute difference it still doesn't you know the films are getting generally longer as we go along apart from this one like a minute um, it doesn't kind of feel longer nothing really drags um, but I really enjoyed the underwater sequence definitely um, I'm, I'm really glad that we get to see more of Sean Harris it's fantastic he's one of the best villains that we've seen in the series and I quite enjoy his work generally I think he's a fantastic he, actor he does look like a lizard though doesn't he that's the thing I, I think that's the part of part of his appeal I was going to say but that's his character is quite that's slimy, why he's quite... so sexy Chris 
he's got the kind of slimy kind of look about him. Sorry, Sean, but um, he kind of his character is made up to look kind of very slick. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Kind of... If he's cold blooded, you wouldn't get too hot next to him in bed, would you? Well, there we are. So it's very handy. <laughs> There you go. Quite handy in his um, glass case of emotion, he doesn't overheat. Yeah. On a hot day. <laughs> but no, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And yeah, I, I agree with you, Dave, definitely. Rick Ferguson is, is a fantastic addition to this film. Um, if, if there were going to be, say, like if they end the next <laughs> film, that's why it's my hand, um, if the next film would be the last one. And I said, right, we're going to we're gonna do a spin off now with Ilsa. I'd be like, right, be there in a heartbeat. She could 100% carry the film. Um, fantastic actress, definitely. Um, amazing addition to this film she's like she'd be like the ideal bond girl in that she's equal equal to bond like she whatever tom cruise can do she can do no qualms no question asked fantastic um well i i mean i i pretty much agree with both of what you said uh i think out out of the three newish ones this is the weakest though that being said i think it's only down to down to the fact that it just lacks a, a, lacks a couple a few things. I think the the style and polish of it is really good. I like the energy that Macquarie has brought to, brought to this. Obviously, we'll see we see things to come. Uh, I think if, if most stylish Mission Impossible film, if we leave the first one out because that was its own thing. Yeah, but maybe most stylish Mission Impossible film, Chris. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah. De- definitely in, <laughs> in in terms of boldness and uh, it it definitely had. It definitely had an energy to it. That it's got a bit more swagger because Fallout's on yeah. quite a, a grimy um, color palette comparatively. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, Fallout is kind of a little bit as if Nolan light. I don't mean that as a kind of like, in a, obviously in a derogative. Well, we'll talk Fallout. about it next week. He tried. To, he tried to make it look like it was a different filmmaker. No, yeah. A different filmmaker. Yeah. And so it wasn't going to be this this is just this is the bold globe trotting one of the two yeah and you know this this is like very much it feels like a spy film uh i think i i think it's very i i think it brings i think it builds an excitement of of what what is to come i remember walking out thinking you know what i don't i think i was only mildly disappointed though happy with what i what what I was shown, and I want more from the series. So I was definitely it did definitely left me hungry for more. And I was like, yeah, okay, roll on, roll on six, because I'll, I'll be, I'll be if you give me more of this type of thing, I'll be happy. So uh, in in a way, yeah, it kind of I did think do its job. It is difficult because the Bond series has always done this of like trying to up the ante every time, and it get it you end up in a silly place if you are literally trying to outdo the Burj Khalifa every time which I suppose the plane stunt sort of is but it's not really not as a sequence anyway um, as a stunt maybe but not as a, not as a real ballsy sequence but where do you go from there there are no taller buildings than that so do you go to space do you know what I mean mm. and that that's how we end up in a really silly position so in some respects not having anything that directly competes with that's not a bad idea and just putting all the sort of um effort into look and feel it's still got stunts i mean it's still got the car work in this is really good but i think even with that we've got better next week yeah definitely there's there's effectively similar next week a car and bike sequence sort of back to back with each other and they're, they're they're better than this 
but they're different the car sequence is similar but it's on a different sort of because that's in paris and of course the bike bits a bit more urban as well whereas this one it was all mountain roads a bit like uh in two so they have managed to vary it i think your biggest worry is to keep trying to top the previous one and three films now of this style if you like and they haven't just done that even though there is something in every film where you go, mm. oh my god, he's doing that? <laughs> but I mean, Fallout might be the best film of the series. We'll find out next week. But there's nothing in it that matches the Burj Khalifa, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, it just means that, you know, that that was that film, this is this film. You know, it, the, the two, two, they offer two different things. Though that being said, Dave, I don't feel I know enough about this film. Well, yeah, because I keep on about the Burj Khalifa. So, <laughs> Becca making me all well-informed a couple of weeks ago, I'm still living on off that, really. Yeah. What I'm hoping is that in future series, I can keep banging on about something from this, this film to really <laughs> dazzle our listeners. But that's not going to work at the moment because I'm fucking clueless, Chris. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think I need more information of some kind. More information? So, what, like a pamphlet? <laughs> yeah, something with, like... Um... Do you think that would work as a section on a podcast? We quietly sit and read a pamphlet each. No. <laughs> Becca, My... you've interjected there. Do you have a better idea than Chris and I quietly reading a pamphlet? About think... that's assuming somebody what, creates about a the Burj pamphlet. Yeah, yeah. Or you could go away and listen to Toronto, listen to Dorma, or try to rework it so it's not so offensive. Anyway. But no, it is a classic opera. Anyway. Yes, yeah, so I've got some fun facts about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I wasn't quite sure what to focus my facts on. I thought, oh, should I do facts about opera? Should I do facts about Tirande? Should I do facts about Puccini? Or should I just do facts about this film? So you get a mishmash. Um, yeah, so other great operas <laughs> involving... Well, mishmashes with fun facts, Becca. Yeah, so it's all a mishmash. Yeah, some other, other movies... Um, that include fantastic opera scenes, famously, um, include La Traviata in Pretty Woman, which is a very iconic scene. Um, Barbara Seville in Hopscotch, where he sings around basically kind of doing a karaoke version of the Barbara Seville. Um, Andre, uh, I'm sorry, Andrea Chenier appears um, in the background in the um, iconic scene in Philadelphia. Um, and also, obviously famously in Shawshank Redemption, um, we hear snippets from Marriage of Figaro, which just plays out to the whole to the whole prison yard in what's a really beautiful scene. Uh, fun fact number two, um, this is probably like the first Mission Impossible movie not to feature a scene where a character is descended on a rope and just hangs there to kind of do some infiltration work, for example. So yeah, we don't see that kind of scene. Well, you know, Tom Cruise does a big drop into the into the Taurus, but um, apart from that, we don't see the kind of famous air quotes jump and hang stunt in this film for the first if time in the series do something different with that they could like combine it with a wedgie yes a giant epic wedgie yeah someone descends and just gets hung by their pants <laughs> the Chris speaks like this for the rest of the film oh yeah. it's yeah just an idea I am a very <laughs> writing help <laughs> yes I say well they kind of do it with a descent into the Taurus but it's not quite the same um fun fact number three the yeah the opening stunt with the um A400M Airbus uh, Atlas that we saw that we just discussed um, was filmed at RAF Wittering in Cambridgeshire Um, Tom Cruise obviously did the stunt himself 
where they need two safety harnesses and with the plane flying 500 feet up in the air. Um, and also apparently there was a, an interview I was reading um, that the grey suit that he wears is is a reference to um, North by Northwest. Like Harry Grant's character wears a similar suit um, with a scene also involving an airplane. Um, obviously you've got the famous crop dusting scene as well. So it could be a callback to that perhaps. But I think that was perhaps quite interesting. you could dust some crops in the next film. <laughs> quick. He female the writers, quick. Extreme gardening. Let's tweet Macquarie. I'm sure he could follow us, no problem. Yeah. I have to get him on. I hope he doesn't cop it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'll do that back <laughs> We'll just tweet He's got him. time, it's fine. He's not busy. Oi, Macquarie, come on, chat to us. Come. Did Sonic three hours of Empire? He could do, do like an hour of us, come on. Yeah, be fine. He's not doing anything right now. Yeah, but we're way less focused than the Empire podcast. We should be at least four times as long. <laughs> but we might only talk about Mission Impossible for some of that. But we're more fun. Generally. So, 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 Chris, uh, tell me, is Tom Cruise really gay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might spend some of the rest of the time discussing with him how he looks like he yeah. could be a character in the Beano or something. <laughs> in the Beano. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, he's not coming on the show, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> he'll, he'll be like, what the fuck's a Beano? <laughs> well, we'd, we'd send him a copy. He, he know about Beano, I'm sure. <laughs> then if, if he does come on, obviously we can get Chris to do it on. You'll be on there, Chris. Chris or Macquarie. So it'll be the Chris show. Yeah. Chris talking to Chris about Chris. <laughs> <laughs> And that could be any number of combinations of different quizzes. <laughs> so, 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 like, would you want me to talk about um, uh, the Mission Impossible series? No, can you talk about Chris Evans? <laughs> uh, yeah. Chris Hemsworth? Yeah. And we do mean Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. So, have you ever seen Don't Forget Your Toothbrush? <laughs> that was a great show. Yeah, I know. He's going to be remembered for TFI Friday, which is nowhere near as good. No, TFI was legendary, but yeah, they forget to push was hilarious. Surely. Yeah, that was a great show. Wow. Yeah. Lots of love for that show, specifically Zig and Zag. Um, that show didn't yeah. wear itself out after a week, did it? No. <laughs> I bought a lot of their merch, so it was quite sad. Um, yeah, fun fact number four um, Tom Cruise trained with diving specialist Kurt Crack, who has a great name. Um, <laughs> To you know, basically teach him teach him how to hold his breath for six minutes. The underwater scene, as you mentioned earlier, was done without any takes, very little, no take, um, no cuts at all um, to I, make it more tense. I wish that guy had been around a few years ago to join a project team I was running, because I already had someone called Mark Sachs and someone called Chris back. Oh, <laughs> so I, on the team, you got the so, I, so I would have had back Sachs and crack. <laughs> That's that, that that sounds that sounds like a like a like a folk group really. There's a folk trio right there. <laughs> yeah. Have somebody called Butler, Backsack Butler, and maybe. Cracker. They all look like Mulligan and Emily. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not his real name, but I think if you call Cut Crack, that's a fantastic I'm gonna name. To, I'm gonna have to post a Mulligan and O'Hare sketch now on our Facebook page <laughs> because going back so many people aren't gonna know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up in a minute. You remember Mulligan O'Hare? It was um. Oh Vic yeah, Hobb. yeah. I misheard you. Sorry. Yes, that's so funny. 
Oh, yeah, it's literally something out of that kind of stable, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I had, I had back in sack, but, but not, he just he did the crack. Not crack. Not not but quite was, Trevor and Simon though, is it? With swinging your he, pants. Yeah, he was off teaching diving to uh, Tom Cruise. Emphasis my own. And then my fine my final fun fact. Um, obviously, Tom Cruise was slated to appear in um, as Napoleon Solo in *The Man from Uncle*, um, but dropped out to make this film. Um, his replacement would be young. Henry Cable, who would also appear in Fallout. So yeah, I think that's quite interesting how the two kind of were meant to play the same roles but swapped and ended up starring next to each other. That's controversial moustache. I'm just imagining it'd be like a wildly oversized Superman outfit. <laughs> yeah, rolled up at the ankles. Too yeah. big. We well, see Henry Cavill next week. He's in. Uh, well, we're in, he's in the film that's responsible for uh, indirectly for the poor um, CG work on his top lip. That's controversial beard. Yeah, Macquarie does talk about that as well. Actually, I haven't listened to re-listened to the Fallout ones yet, but the, he does talk about that because he said we really did try to accommodate them, but there just comes a point where you can't because it would have looked bad for either. If you've ever, if anyone listening hasn't seen Justice League, and judging by it's gross, a few of you probably haven't. <laughs> um, <laughs> the top, the Henry Cavill's lip looks weird. It Very looks weird. a bit. It looks a bit like John Major. Oh God! John, right. Ma- John Major had a slightly oversized, slightly bulbous top lip, and so is Henry Cavill. Looks so if you look at his um, spitting image dummy, that's kind of. Like a lot of it comes from, isn't it? I guess. It, isn't it weird that like John? If you look at John Major now, he he, he looks even more like a spitting image to me. He does. He does. <laughs> he's even more grey. Every time he's on TV or or he's mentioned, I just you're only so boring. I just I just find him so some, boring. Some peas. Like, no, some peas, Norma. <laughs> I like shampoo. What I love is they had the character obsessed with Virginia Bottomley. Yeah. And of course, it wasn't it wasn't common knowledge. You'd like how did Weena Curry? Well, this is it exactly. They, they didn't the realise how they weren't that far away. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they were quite close, weren't they? So it was, it was very clever back in the day. So anyway, we've worked out uh, we've worked out our forward schedule before we go into uh, sorry before we go into social media and that. So we got the rest of this year sorted more or less. So we're going to finish this series next week. Uh, there's going to be Bond commentaries in between. Uh, the other thing we'll stop for is we will do a weekend of release uh, review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Quentin Tarantino film. That'll be out the week after. Uh, we do Robocop when we finish this. So the three original films from the late 80s and early 90s and the remake from 2014, or the reboot, I suppose, which didn't go too well. Uh, then we're going to do what's next? Do we go straight onto the Terminator from that? Don't we? I think so. We go straight onto the Terminator. Then we'll do John Wick, and then we will do the Fast and Furious franchise to take us into next year when we will do Spider Man. And that's all we're going to announce for now. Oh, I say that's all we're going to announce for now. I did actually announce a bit further on earlier. From that, we go to Lethal Weapon and then Planet of the Apes, and that is all we've announced for now. So that'll take us through probably about spring of next year. Good stuff. So and and also we got like the filling ones for Bond as well. Whenever that gets released, that that'll be yep. that'll be probably around that time. Uh, we might 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 do a few catch up with not Marvel. Um, 
I mean, with Bond, um, it'll likely be released on a Wednesday. So what we'll likely do is watch it a couple of times and record on the Friday or something like that. Yeah. Some, something like that. So you'll get it very, very close to release. Please be good. Please be good. <laughs> That's all we want. Just a decent fucking Bond film. That's all we want. We don't and, want it. And if not, we'll just monster it and get an insane show out of it. Yeah. I think it's very rare I get captured by hype. Very rare indeed. And in fact, Spectre is one of the only, one of three or four times it's happened to me in my entire life. I Even with Bond films, even where I'm trying to convince myself I like it, if it's not that good, it would come out in the review. So I'm expecting to be a bit more reliable on it next time. To be fair, but um, it just it just concerns me because I think I don't know if the filmmakers remember what works about their own series now. But we'll see. Yeah, it depends where we've got you know, we've got a good director on board, whether, whether it works or not. Um, yeah. yeah, we can we can and only thing- see. And the fan base is all splintered as well because they're getting old now and don't really know what they want. Hence, they announce a new composer and people are up in arms because it's not David Arnold. A lot of the fan base just wants cinematic comfort food. You know, hence the, hence the fuss in the last couple of days about Lashana Lynch being a 007 character. Yeah, it's a lot of people not reading the headlines though. But yeah, yeah. Or they're just reading the headline, yeah. Yeah, yeah which, which is kind of like the problem. But the, 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 that article did read a bit more like like it baited that a little bit. It, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, yeah. it's that that is what happens. And obviously, internet, you know, no one, no one is nice yeah. on the internet, let's face it. Any one of you out there with jobs, when you leave that job, they'll likely replace you with somebody. That's how it works. They're not going to leave 007 yeah. open forever. So that's how it will work. He'd be yeah. out, he's been out of the service for about four and a half years by the time that film's released. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to get back his original number, which was 7777. Well, that wasn't his original number, but he it, was given that number. Maybe. Yeah, that's the number he was assigned before yeah. 007. It, it will probably be like this. It will be like, Bond's retired, he, he meets he meets the new 00 at some point, uh, mm. or the new 007. Apparently he comes on to her, according to the article, and, and, and she brushes him off. Though that doesn't really make sense, given the fact that he's no, that bit, yeah, that doesn't. And Anna Anna is in it, yeah. So that that seems to be set up more as the love interest, but we'll see. But um, yeah, so it would be she'll be killed off, and then Bond takes up the 007 mantle again, or it'd be or she'll shift. Or she'll shift along. Retired, and then it would be one of the two. Or she'll shift. Or she'll shift along. One, it'll be no. You, you had the honour. It's your number. I was honoured to carry it. I'm happy to shift along. Whatever. He will end the film if if they don't literally retire this Bond and reboot. If they carry on as they always did with Bond films, where it ends ready for someone else to take it up or Daniel Craig to do another one or whatever they decide to do, then he will end the film as 007. I just yeah. don't see the fucking issue. To be honest with no, you, no. It, it, it'll be that. It'll be either re- another reboot or he will take up the mantle again, and then we'll be business as usual yeah that, that, that that's what it'll be but there are people out there even those that have read it are like oh they're just doing a dry run for her to take over it's possibly just like, i mean look off. yeah i mean apparently that's how it reads but it's again it's not just not going to be that no no it's not it's not remember I, i've got problems with those producers but they come from a family who's been there since the inception of it james bond is the draw they're not yeah. going to do a dry run to replace it with a different person called 007. I, I've, I've, that I've, doesn't make any commercial sense. Bear in mind, this is the only property they really have. 
and, and, and they're not, yeah they're just not they've been yeah. mental and 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 you're right. I mean, like this thing, this thing you forget. I mean, there's people who uh, I mean, I've seen opinions that sort of say, "Oh, it's oh, it's great the fact they're they're replacing um, the passing on the mantle to him." I, I much prefer to see like a black female carried on the role. It's like, no, no, the 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 role James Bond is the appeal. It isn't the 007 thing, or that could be any other spy film. It's double. It's James Bond. You know, to, if they did do it, you're right. It would be a complete mistake. It will be like no. It will be goodbye franchise or reboot again. But, but the, the the only worry I've got is the storytelling idea that if you're if you're gonna right if Bond retires and we've established as far back as Thunderball that unlike the books where there's only about three double O's there were nine of them mm. so you have to assume in that queue that was double O one to double O nine right so mm. that's the section. Although even it's ambig- ambiguous there because in dialogue it's every double O man in Europe. So, uh, well, are there more elsewhere? But let's just take that as read that there were nine double O's in that section, okay? Double O one to double O nine. If that's the case, double O seven retires, somebody else becomes double O seven. It's yeah. a job, just like me leaving my job. And that's what it'll be. Now, if somebody else is in the job, for storytelling purposes, for two reasons. Firstly, Mallory was always trying to modernise mm. the section. And also, along with Skyfall, they're always trying to paint Bond as a little bit of an out-of-date dinosaur anyway. The whole idea that he comes back to somebody who is very different to him in the role makes, makes some kind of sense. Yeah. What worries me is will it lead to a load of Bond arguing his place in the world again? Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that bothers me. But the casting of her in that role and there being another 007 doesn't in and of itself worry me at all. No, no. I mean, look, I think, personally, I think it would have played better. And that's why I disagree with Eon who, or whoever who decided to announce this uh, thing. I think it would have played better had we just known she's a female spy. And then as we're watching the film, it gets revealed, oh, she's, she's, she's 007. That would have been a cool thing. So when it played... It would have been. It, it would have played out in the film, and everyone would have gone, "Oh, fine," because we know what it is. We're watching it. Would you have him say, "Send in 007 and then she walks," or something like that, or, or whatever? Yeah, you know. something along those lines. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying exactly how it, how it will play, but it's like it'll be revealed to us as we're watching the film as a surprise. It'll be like, "Oh," yeah, you know what I mean. And that would play better. It'll be like a lot of this bullshit headlines and well, that Bond kind of has thing had a makes... different code number, and in the continuation novels, in the Horowitz number. Uh, in the Horowitz prequel, 007 dies at the start of the fucking book. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? He is a replacement for another 007. Somebody had it before him. Somebody will have it after him. Mm. I know, yeah. But I know. obviously there is no after him in Bond continuity because it's a shifting timeline. Effectively. There, there'll always be a Bond and Bond will always be 007. But for mm. the sake of this story... We've got to get him back into service. So if he returns to the service, you need to see what's happened to the service in yeah. his absence. I, yeah, definitely. I, of, of all the fucking dog whistle bollocks you see on the internet, this is the one I just don't get. This is just literally like I thought people could read better than this. Yeah, I know, I know, but you know, but but no, but no, everyone reads headlines and no one really reads stories. They're just going to get outraged by a headline. But yeah, I'm reading. I'm just reading SJW agenda, and it's like, fuck me, you really just don't want any diversity, do you? Fucking hell! Oh god. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's really it, 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 it's it's the, it's the divided nature of the thing. You know, it's obviously, 
you know, it it plays things to different people. The article itself will like will play to rattle the, the cages of of yeah. you. Some people will embrace it. Like I've I've read plenty of people who who, who generally embrace it as if it is she is taken over. You, do you know what I mean? I wonder, I, if she'll, I wonder if she'll fuck everything that moves as well. Possibly, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Jammed up on penicillin. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, I, I thought that's what Doublos did. I thought it was supposed to just. I, I doubt he'll remember me. Remind him. <laughs> then let him pump you thoroughly. No, I, 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 I was pumped <laughs> for, for information. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they 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 would be very careful about diluting the brand anyway. So I yeah, don't yeah. even they wouldn't even spin it off into a TV show or anything. This woman is is there to play a part in this film. I'm, you can never be a hundred percent certain because we've we've gone into Bond films before and seen silly decisions made. <coughs> but I can be Spectre. ninety. I can be I can be ninety five percent sure this is just nothing to worry about whatsoever, and. It's, it's too early to start getting like our panties. If, in they the don't, twist. if they don't kill off or retire this bond, he will end the bond. He will end the film as 007. Yeah, with or without her alive. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. It'll be it'll be yeah. one of those things. Or which... as long as it doesn't lead into a load of navel gazing about his old methods still being relevant and all that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's probably a bit late in the day that for now. You know, I think we just. You can imagine him using new modern methods, and he just storms in and goes, "No, you should just get pissed and shag around. <laughs> That's what you should do. Get its brilliant results." Yeah, I mean that could work. Be like, almost have like a, a Bond buddy movie where he's like, where he's up against, where he's you know his partner is 007 and he's. <laughs> that yeah. would have been an odd she's, thing. She's on the computer and using high tech methods, and he's just like banging people. He, to yeah. Get <laughs> It, it, yeah, it's way ahead of you. There, it's like you know, trying to be more subtly. He just goes more direct. No, <laughs> shoots him in the leg. <laughs> Once she's trying to hack into their bank accounts, he he strolls back in, having shagged them, like smelling his fingers and stuff. <laughs> I could write that. And I don't, no one would ever complain about SJW bollocks. I promise. I, I I'd be delighted in that. <laughs> you imagine if I was announced. <laughs> you imagine if all this time I just kept it quiet from you. We're just having a script polish from Dave Bond from Two Here's an example of some of his work, and they just play like the a Blackman joke or something, <laughs> which no one knows. No one knows. That, that's the that's the kind of well, it would be revealed, wouldn't it? Actually, it doesn't exist recorded now because you edited it. it. Yeah, it would be. It it, it wouldn't be subtext. It would be text. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be subtext. Text. It would just be text. text. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, I'm amazed you remember I said that. <laughs> what was it you said? Why, Dave? Why are there blowjobs in every scene? Uh, no, no, it wouldn't be that bad. <clears throat> Nearly though. <laughs> Nearly. Getting there. Nearly. <laughs> <laughs> Social media, folks. Oh, you, can, you can find me on the the cesspool that is Twitter. On oh, um, <laughs> Code at UK, you can also find all the all the episodes on Do uh, Sorry, on um, Code at UK, and um, yeah, all the old episodes are on the uh, you know Google, uh, Spotify, and uh, Apple Apple Stitcher. Pocket. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, well, anywhere you can find it, we're all on there. I've got Stitcher. 
Uh, to be yeah, honest, we're not sure because we haven't looked. You know, we just know Spotify. it goes on. No, but I, I, I googled it about a week or so ago. It's still, still there. <laughs> but yeah. if, if, look, just, just Google us. You'll find us, and you know, you find us on. You'll, you'll find us on any sort of podcast search app. Search apps. You'll, you'll, we'll be there. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk, and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, expect us to talk, and also the same on YouTube and iTunes. Type in Do you expect us to talk? You can find us there. And if you want, you can drop us an email, expectstalk at gmail.com. Excellent. And you can find me at the Plastic Kid 1976 on Twitter. I think we're going to finish on a high, actually, because we've got something a bit special next week, which means Becca. Do you expect us to talk or return with our review of Mission Impossible Fallout? <laughs>